Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I am Jim. Yes, you are, Jim. How are you doing today, buddy? You know, pretty good. Um, at the, uh, I, I do have to kind of gross a little bit up top here. I know that's really unlikely. No. But the, um, yeah, no. I know. You don't say. For once, the web is actually cooperating. I have some Christmas shopping left to do. I actually have all of it left to do. I'm really a last-minute guy. Um, and by the time you hear this, it's going to seem like it's even more last-minute. But nonetheless, um, the weather's been pretty good. But nonetheless, um, in the due course of zipping around the Amazon looking for some gifts recently, um, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I, I would like to get a new microphone, uh, both based on the fact that um, after our pinball episode, I talked to a friend of the show, Dr. Pin, a.k.a. Christian Line, because his dulcet tones had come through so sparkling clear about what his mic was. And he's got a really nice mic. But I've been looking around for a microphone that I can actually have a mute button on because yeah. um, you do all the editing on your end and you do all the heavy lifting on that. And I, I definitely respect that. But if I can make your job easier by doing what I can to momentarily mute out sniffles, coughs, sneezes, any of the other things you list on the, uh, the, the classic NyQuil symptoms list. It's the great tasting nighttime sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head fever so you can rest medicine. <laughs> um, I, I want to do that. So uh, yesterday I was, uh, again, at the risk of A, bitching about the weather, B, bitching about other things, and just B, kind of making this descend at the early moments here into the two old guys talking about health issues podcast. Um, oh, man yells at the sky! <laughs> <laughs> we are so old. <laughs> I, I figured out that... Uh, um, it, it occurred to me that I should add naproxen sodium to my pain relief repertoire because sometimes the body aches and the headaches aren't adequately addressed by ibuprofen, aspirin, or acetaminophen. Sometimes it's only that that will do. It's better for body aches. The other stuff's better for headaches. So I found a bottle of naproxen on Amazon. It was like 12 bucks, and, and Amazon, in its infinite wisdom, knows the algorithms and knows their customers and <laughs> popped up the, uh, hey, if you buy a, a, a $25 worth of qualifying items, you can get this shit today. And I thought, hey... I hurt today. Cool. I'll get that today. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to grab another microphone. So I started looking around for microphones with a mute button because I got a little uh, podcast effects console thing a while ago that oh, has yes. a nice gummy soft mute button on it, but I can't use it because the one mic that I have that really works very well has a USB connection on it. Um, and this thing uh, comes with a microphone, but it had a 3.5 millimeter connection as opposed to USB. And the microphone that it came with, while good, is kind of like a hypercardioid, like a SM58. So I have to be like right up on it in order to, for it to get any sound. And the mic that I have in order to keep my uh, hands free so I can talk, you know, because uh, I have to do that, is on my desk. And it wasn't picking me up. So the console worked out great, but the actual microphone they shipped it with that it was compatible with um, did not. So I thought, well, I'll get an adapter. I'll get like a USB to 3.5 millimeter. Those things exist, but they only really exist for car stereos, well, for and aux cable terrible. connections. They're, they're it, terrible. It, it lessens the connection to like a horrible degree. It yeah. makes it sound like trash. It really does. So I thought, I don't want to dip the signal. That's the whole reason I'm not using the mic that I have to be right up on top of. Uh, plus, these things mostly need power because they're, they're uh, manufactured to work with car stereos. So I just, I'm trying to find a workaround. So yesterday, I, I saw a microphone that you know, it was about, I don't know, 40, 45 bucks, had a four and a half star rating on Amazon, and it came with a mute button. And I thought, great. And it was in the list of things that if you order your naproxen sodium today, you can get this microphone by like eight o'clock at night. So I thought, fantastic. I'll get that. I'll have it for recording tomorrow. 
you know, I'll do a couple dry runs with uh, the audio software tonight and see if it works out. So I got the thing and I unboxed it and I took it out of the box and and, and hooked it up to uh, to the computer and, and started our audio software. And then this is the thing that just absolutely baffles me to the point of why the fuck even bother? <laughs> I, I'm just doing like a testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three, all the best audio engineers off from Eastern Europe. I know a Russian one, I know a Polish one, I know a Czech one, two, Czech one, two. Testies, testies, one, two, three. And I hit the momentary switch to uh, to mute the mic and it went, bah, bah, and it left this spike on the audio track that actually redlined my level. It's a mechanical switch with a hard click on it that's about an eighth of an inch from the actual screen that does the intake of the audio on the microphone. And I thought, what in the fuck is the point of that? They engineered in this feature, yeah, that is completely useless for what you'd actually use it for. It defeats the purpose of its own in- implementation. And I just thought to myself, God damn it. So I left him a, uh, a review on Amazon that said, hey, the mic is fine, but if you actually want to use the mute button, it's utterly useless. And total elapsed time from unboxing to printing the return label was 25 minutes. You know, we talk, uh, We were talking to John Champion about uh, uh, when we were recording uh, about the, the, the pitfalls and perils of doing uh, independent audio. And, and he uh, was telling us about how he has to have someone record. Uh, he has someone who edits him and, and, and Norm together for Mission Log. Yeah. And uh, he was talking about his frustration because every time uh, they edit, they I said, well, sometimes it sounds like it clips you short or it clips Norm short. And he's like, yeah, that's because every time there's a clicking sound. And, and he's like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, it's probably the guy's mouse. As he's clicking you over. And he's like, oh, I bet yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. And so, look, I don't mind doing the edits with the with the uh, the uh, the coughs and the sneezes and the sniffles and everything because it happens. And as long as we're on independent tracks, it's fine. So, don't sweat yourself too much about it. Eventually, you'll get yourself a fancy dancy uh, Yeti mic like I've got here. And uh, ooh, yeah, just I, rub that must... big old phallic thing right in my face, huh? Yeah, just like that. you like it. You know but, it's uh, true. I let my my kid use it most of the time. He does his little TikTok videos with it, and whatnot. But uh, as previously discussed, he doesn't know how to use the settings on it, which is fantastic. I told you this story about how I got this mic for free, right? Uh, I, I don't got think so. Hundred and what is a hundred and forty dollar Yeti mic at the time. Uh, I went. There was a secondhand shop in town that uh, we go to all the time, or that used to be a secondhand shop. Now I think it's just a vape and disc golf shop. But uh, they were one of those, oh, we go to storage units and we we buy old storage units and we flip what we find and that kind of thing. And so it was always neat to go in there and just see the randomness that, that would appear on the shelves. And and so one day I go in and uh, they've got a Yeti mic. And so I'm looking at this Yeti mic going, hey, you know, this uh, this this will be good. I've heard good things about Yeti. And then in the back, they had another one that was in box. And it was like the the cool black Assassin's Creed model, and I'm like, ooh, that one's neat ooh, too. And, sexy. Uh, so I'm like, how much for both of them? And she's like, well, that one doesn't work. That one we tested, it's broken, it doesn't work. You can just have it if you can make it work. So be it. So I bought the one. I think it was for like 50 bucks, which is a really good price for a Yeti mic. 
and then I got the black one for free. And so I bring them home and I can't get the, the blue one to work whatsoever. I can't get it to connect. I can't get it to record. I can't get anything to happen with it. And I don't know whether that was honestly user error or not. I, I admit culpability when I can. If it was user error, I would admit to it. But I don't know. I just don't know. So I ended up taking it back. And uh, because the other one was free, I didn't take it back. There was no place on the receipt for it. So yeah. uh, what I did was I looked into trying to repair it. And everyone on the web is saying, oh, if it's this model number up, it's still under warranty, uh, start a claim. And I'm like, oh, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. And so I started a claim, tried to see if I could just get it repaired. And uh, they're like, no, nah, we can't repair those. Uh, it takes too much money and too much effort to repair them. So here's what we're going to do. We'll send you a new one, but we need to have proof that you disabled this one. So go in and, and take some needle-nose pliers and go into the port, the little USB uh, B port, uh, one of the older, like the PS3 style ports, and you go in there and you pull that black plug out, the black uh, connector plug out, and then take a picture and write the model number on it and send it to us. And so I did that, and they sent me a brand new goddamn Yeti microphone. So That's nice work if you can get it. Long story, extremely long. That's how I got a free Yeti microphone. So, um, yeah. So old men yelling at the sky. I was gonna. I was talking to my wife about this the other day, and it's nothing health related. I was actually. I woke up feeling good the other day, and uh, it was fresh. proactive. I had time before work. I got paid, so it's like you know what. Uh, my friend was talking about salads being. Uh, they sell individual salads at Costco, and and uh, they're cheap, and and you could take them for lunch and everything so i'm like all right i'll go to costco but i gotta leave for work usually get ready for work around 12 12 30 so it's like all right i'll go when they open at 10 get in the door get out be good my wife's like oh i don't know be careful because at the one in near where she works down at the other side of town there's a uh another costco and she says uh, i could see the lineup of people outside every morning and it's always the, the mall walkers, the old people who dun, go there dun, to get dun. their steps in. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, they got to get their steps in. Why not? Might, might as well do it at the warehouse store. And so um, I went to my Costco up here, where I live, and uh, I show up about 15 minutes early. They open the door about 15 minutes early, which is nice. But, yeah, it's all the old people. And, and, and it's all the stereotypical old people. It's like the quiet old couple in the corner, grandma and grandpa over there, the one loud, boisterous, retired guy who's going to make jokes so everybody will laugh. And and I'm like, oh, God, she was right. It's all the mall walkers. And so I'm like, all right, fine. Get your head down, get in, get out. So as I'm walking around getting my stuff, and you have to get a, you have to get a rotisserie chicken. It's compulsory. It's five bucks. Thanks yeah. for good lunches. So I'm getting that. They didn't have the salads, but I'm getting that. I'm getting some other uh, snacky bits for work, some beef jerky, protein stuff, so I eat less candy. And, you know, you got employees asking, hey, how's it going? Good morning. And, and you're making jokes and shit like that. And uh, I, I like the third time that happens, and I realize I'm, I'm doing some kind of dumb platitude as I walk away, I realize, oh, my God, I'm fucking one of them. I'm just going around tossing out dad jokes. Oh my god. 
and I had this this epiphanous moment where I just wanted to uh, slam my head into the shopping cart and just until I bled out or knocked myself unconscious and forgot I did it. But uh, kind of a sobering moment. Well, you know, uh, I, I think uh, we Gen Xers are, are just we're not handling the aging process well. And I don't know if that's because oh, we, absolutely uh, not. No, we, we sort of, um, we, 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 our whole thing, our whole brand is being young. You know, I, I just keep on thinking back to the 90s, which I, of course, due to the nature of the band that I'm in, have, have uh, frequent occasion to do. No. Because I, I frequently say from the stage, you know, I mean, there's, there's a certain amount of argument to be had about whether the 90s were the best era for music, but they certainly were the last good one. And, uh, you know, so I look back on, uh, on a lot of the pop culture of the time and I just feel really nostalgic for it. But I think, Another part of this is uh, is us looking at how badly the the boomers are aging. I'm not talking in a physical sense, you know. I'm just talking about how badly. Hey, we're gonna have our summer of love at Woodstock, and we're gonna have our era of prosperity in the '80s, and then we're gonna shut the fucking door behind us on all that stuff, destroy shut the it economy. Down. Yeah, we're you know, and just make sure that nobody behind us can ever have a good time. And, Pull yourself uh, course, up you know, by your wanna... bootstraps. I, I don't want to get up in my uh, political soapbox again, but, uh, you know, pre-Reagan era, before uh, he dipped the top-tier tax rate from the 70-80% uh, range into the 35% range and uh, completely decimated the economy and created the 1%, you know, you can't get by on a single income anymore. The Carter administration was the last time in this country where you could actually have one person work, be able to put away a little something for retirement, get a new car every couple of years, buy a house, and still have a little something left over. And that's just not realistic anymore, and, and the boomers refuse to acknowledge that. Um, but it also has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, anytime that the pop culture or the news or anybody who wants to speculate on generational divides wants to talk about it, they're like, boy, it's just, uh, boomers versus millennials and Gen Zers. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? We can hear you. We're still here. We're maybe the latchkey kids who you ignored when you had us. But, you know, at the same time, <laughs> we, we're never going to get our fucking turn. They just skipped over us entirely. But I really think that, um, what really encourages me is that uh, the 18 to 25 demographic voting block across the board universally in every state went for blue candidates in this last election. So there's, there's going to be 8 million more Gen Zers who are voting age by the time the 2024 election rolls around. So I think that's probably why Republicans are pissing themselves right now, because they understand that it's not just waning relevance. The and uh, after taking is uh, dying. It is. It really is. And I've seen so much speculation in the news and about how this is the first uh, election since pre-World War II where the uh, party ostensibly in power, because we had both houses of Congress and the presidency, did not lose at least 26 seats in the House and three or four seats in the Senate during the midterms. Uh, so even though we did lose the House, uh, we, we actually picked up seats in the Senate. And uh, despite there being a, uh, a somewhat unpopular um, recession slash inflation president, uh, they, it, it, the fact that, that the Republicans' message, uh, such as it is, you know, uh, hey, we're going to back Trump, we're going to pretend January 6th never happened, we're going to continue to engage in COVID denialism and, and worship at the altar of billionaires, this is just not resonating with people that are growing up because their lives are the ones getting shit on. So I, I have at least a little bit of, uh, of hope that if we can codify some of these protections like we just did with the Protection of Marriage Act, or sorry, Respect of Marriage Act, if we, if we can do some of the things we need to do in the next couple of years to, uh, to codify voting rights and, and all that, then I think we should be in a pretty good position to be able to, uh, to, to, to drum this minority rule from behind uh, archaic dinosaur party out of power uh, completely in the next couple of years. But 
again, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know what's going on. We got to figure all this shit out. Yeah. Uh, news really. Oh, before we get to news, uh, I was going to tell you something cool is uh, I've been. Uh, you were talking about how you bought stuff and, and got same day delivery. That almost never yeah. happens for me with Amazon, but I did the same thing the other day. Which is weird, being as you're in the Pacific Northwest where Amazon fucking I'm lives. I'm in the home of Amazon. You figure that'd be a more acceptable, easy thing to do. But uh, So I, I was clicking around, and uh, I've been streaming a lot of uh, Oculus to my phone because my daughter likes to watch. And, and it, I started putting her into Beat Saber, even though she's a little young for it. But what can I do? I'm a sucker. I like to have her, let her have fun, too. But uh, uh, instead of streaming it to my phone, I want to stream it to my TV. Instead of do that, you kind of need a Chromecast or some yeah. such device. And so I went out and uh, I went on Amazon the other day and picked up a Chromecast. And it's like, oh, if you buy such and such more, you get it for free. And so it's like, oh, yeah. shit, all right. So I'm looking and I got a little add-on battery pack for the Oculus headset where it's like an extra 5,000 milliamp hour battery that you just clip onto the earpiece. And so I got that and then it was a little bit short so I ended up getting and I got another gift for Daniela for Christmas and that all came in one bundle so that was nice same day. But I was going to talk about they got they, they just released this yesterday and I picked it up as soon as I heard about it for Beat Saber. Now a lot of Beat Saber stuff is like EDM remixes and things like that. Or yeah. you can get like the Lizzo sound pack or the Imagine Dragons or like and on the PSVR I had uh, the Green Day and the Imagine Dragons and stuff like that. Uh, Lincoln Park had one and I'm and waking the, up to ass and nuts, <laughs> jacking off on the prison bus, breathing in the genitals. Wow! Jesus Christ! They released yesterday song. what they called the rock mixtape. And it's, uh, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight tracks. Uh, Steppenwolf, Born to be Wild. Survivor's uh -huh. Eye of the Tiger. Kiss, I Was Made for Loving You. The longest song ever on Beat Saber now is uh, Leonard Skinner's Freebird. Wow. The White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Freebird and Beat Saber listened. Right. Uh, Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine, and Foo Fighters, The Pretender. So, I mean, uh, for the most part, that's a banger soundtrack. So I went and picked that up immediately. Yeah. So, Russ Bucket does The Pretender, and it always gets a huge reaction. And if you ever want to uh, fall down a Foo rabbit Fighters. hole sometime, yeah. you should uh, you should go on to uh, YouTube and, and, and look up uh, Foo Fighters, The Pretender Reaction. Because there's this whole subgenre of YouTube that I fucking love that is um, cool as hell black hip-hop fans who are just starting to get into rock music and they listen to like some of the the, the slappiest most bangingest rock tracks of the last 20 or 30 years and just you can see them sort of like fall in love in real time because they're hearing these things for the first time and it's just it's such a cool thing to watch people kind of discover music it's like hearing it again for the first time through somebody else's ears yeah there was a hip-hop guy i watched on face on youtube that did a lot of that his name is laid back oh and, i love uh, laid back okay yeah so you see laid so. back hey yeah love yeah. that guy and uh, so he, uh, he, I listened to some of his original music too, and and so yeah. watching him do rock reacts is is flipping funny as hell. You're right, but yeah, so I thought I'd throw that in there before we hit the news. I thought that was a neat little add-on for for Beat Saber, and I'm looking forward to the weekend so I can start slapping those around. I'm really looking forward. Uh, to, I'm looking uh, forward to the weekend so I can see if I can dive back into God of War without. Uh, 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 I haven't even started uh, that one yet. I haven't even started. You know, because I haven't finished the first God or the for, for the first, but in the original. Uh, yeah. The new God of War, 
from we were talking a little cycle. bit in the run-up and and god of war i actually I, i'm starting to uh i finally conceded on that game i'm not giving up on it but the thing is like the whole get good stoles like video game culture has infested some corners it never should have gone into and this idea that we need to slap this artificial difficulty i had been playing god of war on the middle of the road difficulty it's got this sliding difficulty scale of uh, like give me story which is the easiest give me balance which is like balance between story and combat and everything and i've been leveling up as often and then I can spank me and daddy hard skills and yes yeah, and who would do that but this game has some Masochists. real fucking obnoxious meat shield bosses that stand between you and progress and Optional encounters is a lot of those. There's like berserker fights and there's like Yggdrasil rifts that you can like pull these leveled up enemies out of and give them a shot. But there are some bosses you have to clear before you can get to the next narrative section of the game. And there's one or two that just had me like ready to snap my controller in half. And I'm just like, you know what? Yep. I, I finally achieved an age as a gamer. I mean, I, I, my first console wasn't even the 2600. I have one of those uh, Pong decks. You got to sit crisscross applesauce on the floor and the little fader style controls are right there on the console to knock the ball back and forth because I'm that old. So I grew up with a controller in my hands. I'm not somebody who's a novice gamer, but at the same time, I mean, some of these bosses are just obnoxiously difficult and I'm just swearing at the TV and and Steph is like, maybe you should take a breath and take a break there, bro, because you're <laughs> starting to get a little blood pressure-y. So, um, you know, I, I finally decided, you know what, screw this. I want to finish this game before I fucking die. So I'm playing it on easy mode. And if you want to come at me about it, fuck you. I just don't have enough time to game. And I don't want to spend three or four hours trying to memorize a pattern of button mashing that uh, that I can use to finally advance my narrative. I just don't want to do that. So I'm kind of done with it. You have beaten me, God of War. You have be it broken me down to... Uh, to, to pansy status, I, I lowered my difficulty just so I can get through the fucking game. You win. Whatever. You're a bitch, boy. We do what we please, boy. Yeah, boy. It's true. I am. I know that, and I accept that. That's my fate. Whatever. Accept your business. But I'm looking forward to getting back to that over the weekend. And I have it. My, my work is pretty cool. I have a nice big break between um, uh, Christmas and New Year's, and I'm going to blitz venues that have expressed an interest in booking us but haven't bitten yet for the band. And I'm also going to spend a bit of time uh, doing what I can to, uh, to 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 send out some cold mails for some potential sponsors for the Fuel the Fandom podcast. Because uh, we do because, that now. Uh, we do that now. And that's a, a lovely segue before we uh, actually introduce our guest for the day. Drumroll, please. Yes, we have a guest, and we're currently chewing up his afternoon. Uh, so uh, why don't we... Uh, he looks, oh, he looks real, so real upset quick, about though. it, yeah. Yeah, before we do that, I, I have to... Uh, um, it's a little bit of sad news um, in the world of music and entertainment. We just found out this morning that uh, Stephen Boss, a.k.a. Twitch, who is Ellen's DJ, has uh, apparently left us at 40 years old. He was also a contestant on uh, Anna Judge on So You Think You Can Dance. So, uh, and, and just, you know, an overall positive presence, um, even through uh, Ellen having to deal with some of the slings and arrows of not being uh, the, the branded nice person she paints herself to be so much. But, you know... Uh, Twitch uh, was 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 her constant companion, and uh, by all accounts, just a great guy. And um, he is gone at forty, and the early rumors are that it was self inflicted. So, um, again, for the the second week in a row, uh, we have the the sad news of, of talking about a a beloved celebrity who has apparently decided to check out a hotel Earth, and and that's really sad from uh, an entertainment perspective, a mental health perspective, and obviously for anybody who loved him, friends, family, fans, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to bring things down, but uh, that did roll in this morning, and uh, I, I really dug that guy, so it's really sad to hear. Yeah, that sucks. Anytime someone has a mental health demon that they have to fight like that, it's, it's rough. It really is. So, uh, 
I mean, we're no uh, psychologists, psychiatrists here, but if you need help, uh, reach out. There's people out there who you can talk to that that want to see you continue, that need yeah. you to continue. And uh, the world is better with you in it universally. Absolutely. I don't care who absolutely. you are. Absolutely. Uh, one news thing that I came across, and this is just silly news. It's not really news. It's silly news. Uh, and just a kind of a, a palate cleanser before we get into our, our guest here is uh, I found this article, uh, George Takei. I follow George Takei on social media, as most He's of you delight. should. He's, he is a delight. And uh, the article is talking about fast food chains that are grossly overrated. And one of the oh, things that man. led me into this is because uh, I just read an article where a TikToker was complaining about uh, a family of four eating at uh, Five Guys and it costing like 80 bucks. Jesus fucking Christ. And that's no joke. Uh, I have a family of four, as it turns out. And eating out for us is always, you know, you got to find where it's going to hurt the least, you know. Do we <laughs> go get these days, yeah. Panda Express Chinese or do we go to the real Chinese place? Or anymore, it's only about a $15, $20 difference. So you might as well go to the good Chinese place, but things like that. And so it led me to pull up this article on on, uh, on uh, George Takei's website. And uh, uh, it uh, I'll go briefly into what they talk about. And this is an aggregate. They talk, I add a bunch of different comments for each one they talk about. And there's only a few, but uh, Panera was brought up first. Uh, hmm. And here are the quotes. Food tastes like literally nothing. Like there's a department dedicated to removing flavor. It's the food equivalent of hint water. Damn! Ooh. Um, yeah, and hint, charge... of course, is, is, is like LaCroix for people who don't like all that uh, exciting carbonation. Right. Uh, they charge $10.19 plus tax for mac and cheese. And it's good, but Jesus, I know how to make my own. Uh, overpriced, undersized, over underseasoned, which is as bland a white guy kind of food as you can ever imagine. So that's why it's your basic Becky of uh, fast food restaurants. So uh, then they talk about Tim Hortons, which I don't know. I've been to Tim Hortons, and and it's a Canadian mainstay somehow. But this is a quote: "It's an absolute travesty that they've literally advertised their way into Canadian identity while cutting costs in every way possible." Their coffee is at the absolute bottom of the barrel, and I genuinely can't think of a major chain that serves worse food. Wow. Another quote. Nothing is made in-house and simple basics like toasting bagels, something that should have been an issue 15 years ago maybe, remains unaddressed. So they're still somehow always cold and burnt. Which is not even to touch on their abuse of temporary foreign workers, abysmal pay, and awful work culture. Uh, and then let's see, uh, Canadian here, at the risk of being tried for treason, Tim Hortons is way overpriced. Uh, they've lost their identity, which was once a solid coffee and donut. Now their coffee is budget, and, uh, the donuts taste the same, slathered in glaze, and all baked off-site and trucked in. So there's your Tim Hortons Bummer. controversy. And then the last one, um... Not everybody needs a little KFC. Literally <laughs> just got served a bucket of grease and bones, and this is stupid expensive. You see it on TV and are like, fuck, I haven't had KFC in ages. You order it, it takes an age to get it, and then you eat it. And then that feeling afterwards of self-loathing and disgust is the reason you haven't had KFC in ages. 
And then the last one there says, I can go to any grocery store and pick up an eight-piece bucket of fried chicken from the deli for like six to eight dollars. Grab a side of mac and cheese and a small coleslaw and a pack of King's Hawaiian Rolls and maybe I spend an extra five bucks. KFC is like $30 for an eight-piece bucket and sides and I'll take grocery store chicken over KFC any day. It's bigger, juicier, crispier, and tastes less salty. You know, I'm going to so, make a, a mildly controversial statement because I'm, ooh, I'm surprised. We'd like they, it they, they, you this, do that. Oh, yeah. This may have made the list, uh, and, and it was just one that you you, you uh, skipped over because for my two cents, um, the most overrated fast food chain on the planet and uh, is – and I okay, I've traveled quite a bit. I've traveled quite a bit for work. I've been on several road trips across the country. I, I love doing that. Uh, I follow uh, bands. I, I've moved around a lot for work. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. And I have this thing where I like to try regional cult burgers uh, because there are some places where you can only get certain burgers, and I like to, to try those things on there. And there have been some standouts. Um, Culver's uh, here in the Midwest, and uh, we can talk to our guest about this when uh, when we actually finally get off our ass and introduce him. But um, Culver's has been named by several uh different authorities as being the best fast food burger available and maybe it's a bias because i happen to be from wisconsin and so is culver's but i have never had a better burger than culver's uh anywhere i've been in the country they make them fresh on site i've known several people that have worked at culver's here and they say you know i've worked at a couple different fast food places and culver's is the only one i still eat at because i know what happens behind the scenes the food is good it's made to order and anybody that's had it goes, holy shit, this is a fast food burger. If you get your burger, it looks just like the picture. I mean, Culver's, hands down, far and away, bar none, is the best fast food burger. Whataburger in Texas comes really goddamn close. They make a really, really good burger. Um, Blake's Lotta Burger, which is a New Mexico specialty, is I fantastic. I had the Blake's. I had the Blake's. Yeah, I think we, we talked about this offline before when you were doing uh, some, some remotes in, uh, in, in the area. I sent you to Blake's, and Blake's makes a damn fine burger. However... I'm about to piss off the entire West Coast when I say in and out and shit. It. I hear it. Yeah, I, I don't mind in and out. I don't mind them. I don't think it's they're worth fine. necessarily the hype, but I, I don't right. mind them. In and out makes a perfectly serviceable burger. It's just fine. It's an okay burger, but it does not live up to the hype. It's not one of those. Oh, when you come to the West Coast, bro, you got to try an in and out. No, it's it's you do you do if for no other reason than to go. That's what I've been hearing about. They make a fine burger. It's not bad. But it isn't this legendary thing. It's only because Californians like to pretend that what they have is so much fucking better than whatever anybody else has that In-N-Out has achieved this legendary status. And the burger is fine, but here's the other thing. Flat out, their fries fucking suck. And even In-N-Out fans, even ardent, passionate In-N-Out devotees will admit their fries are absolute bullshit. Yeah. Um you know, it's it's really bad when you can look at like the, the, the reprocessed fries like McDonald's fries are fries off site. They bring them in, they dunk them in the oil for a couple seconds, they come back. But McDonald's fries are crispy, hot, and delicious. Uh in and out fries, by contrast, they do cut them right on site. You can watch them if you're standing at the counter. They got a little potato press, they stick a potato in it, bam, they slice the fries through a little grate, it goes in the oil, and they come out. Um, but in this case, over-processing, over-salting, frying shit off-site and reflash frying it when it gets to the restaurant is clearly the better way. McDonald's has it figured out because just frying potato strings uh, at In-N-Out is awful. It's just awful. Um, so if you are on the West Coast and you're an In-N-Out devotee, uh, come at me. I don't give a shit because I'm right. Try Culver's and then get back to me. Now that Jim has lost us all of our West Coast listeners, uh, there was one, there's one other thing I wanted to add. Is an entirely separate article about Panera, and uh, it's 
It was a TikToker, and I lost the article, but there was a TikToker who uh, was talking about their new charged lemonade, and Panera's got this thing called charged lemonade, and it's 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 a super sweet, over sugary, caffeinated lemonade that they're selling mm. right now. And you know me, I am a caffeine addict. I'm all about it. Anything that can get me up and going, more power to it. But shout out to Death Wish Coffee on that one. Absolutely, um, but. The idea is that uh, uh, they're not really advertising how much caffeine is in this, this uh, lemonade. And so this this woman, basically, she worked at a Panera and she had something like uh, three or four over the course of a shift. And when the math totaled out, we won't even get into the amount of sugar, which is obvious. Any lemonade worth its lemonadiness uh, has a lot of sugar in it, which is why I stay away from most of them. But sweet tea too, which is what I miss. I do miss a good sweet tea. I miss a good Arnold Palmer. Uh, I'll give you that. But this lemonade, I guess, over the course of like four or five servings over the day, over a thousand. What is it? Milligrams? Is it milligrams? I know, yeah. I don't know if that's how you measure caffeine, but a thousand milligrams of uh, caffeine for an eight-hour shift. And the FDA. Re- says you really should stop at a maximum of like 500 for a day for an entire day that's like a can or two of monsters will do you five or six cups of coffee that'll do you gotta go fast apparently four or five of these lemonades will overdose you on caffeine and she said she started having heart attack symptoms like she could feel her heart racing and beating out of her chest and like I, I get that. I actually get that. Here's the thing. The last job that I had that really kept to a regular schedule, um, this would have been probably 2017 to 2018. I was actually living on the East Coast at the time in Richmond, Virginia, and I was working for a Fortune 100 financial company that I will not name, but they're probably what's in your wallet. And I worked on the fifth floor of this building on their campus, and there was a pod on the other side. of There's like a, a wall in between, a little breezeway between where you could have snacks, there's a fridge and whatnot. And there was a little um, coffee machine. Seattle's best coffee, about the size of a dorm fridge. Yeah. And of course, because these these guys didn't consider themselves a financial company, but a tech company, and they were really trying hard to kind of build like a uh, a campus, like a Google or a Facebook, um, they had all these amenities. And you could go and get coffee. And I, I had to get up pretty early. I had to be at, be there at 9 o'clock, which, uh, you know, for me is pretty early. I know it's like a, a 9 to 5 oh. is not unreasonable for most people, but I'm a, uh, you, you work second shift and I'm a night owl. So it was tough. So I had to get up in the morning and I had to go and get some some coffee before I got started. So I go to this machine and uh, I was drinking coffee at first and, you know, I'm largely immune to caffeine. I'll drink two cups of Death Wish in the morning and I can't even feel it. But I would go to this machine and I would, uh, I realized that um, at one point, oh, they have an espresso shot. It's like a two ounce espresso shot. They don't tell you what the caffeine is, but you can get a two ounce espresso shot and you can actually click the little touch screen on the front to make it extra strong. So I would get a two inch espresso shot. And then I realized hey, that's t- that's two ounces, and these cups are ten ounces. I could fit five of those in one cup <laughs> if I really want to. And at the time, I really wanted to. So I would go and I would fill up a cup with five double extra strength espresso shots, and then there I'd do that go. three or four more times over the course of the morning. And I'd wonder why my heart was going. By the time it was lunch, you know, and, there and I you thought, go. Oh, it might actually be, and that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm largely immune to intoxicants. I have to drink. So much booze to feel that I have to have so much caffeine before it has an effect. 
And uh, that was the one time I did that for about three or four months wondering, wow, cardiac arrhythmia. I wonder what that's about before I put it together. <laughs> oh, dipshit. It's the 85,000 milligrams of caffeine you're drinking in the morning with all of those double espresso shots stacked up five in a cup. Maybe you should cut that shit out. And I did. And lo and behold, my heart rhythms returned to normal. Boy, it's a good thing you're pretty because you sure ain't smart. Well, that ain't it. Can't be it. <laughs> well, well, speaking of into... what's in your wallet, you tell me what's in your wallet. <laughs> speaking of what's in your wallet, let's talk about this week's sponsor, Extra Wallets. Now, Jim, uh, I'm still using that Senate card holder in my pocket. It's just too easy. It just, I basically just move it from pocket to pocket as I switch pants, and it's fantastic. Um, it's it's so low-key. It just p- tucks right in there. You barely notice it's in there. And again, I have to, to stress my favorite feature, aside from that little click-out card uh, uh, feature and the RFID protection, can't for, uh, forget that, but because they have this click-in card feature where your cards all go into this... Uh, uh, what do you want? Uh, I want to call it like a cartridge, almost. Yeah. Um, I can switch back and forth between the two extra wallets that I have, between the Senate and the Parliament, with the click of a button. Literally, it's a two-step procedure. Click them out, tuck them in. It takes no time at all. And all of a sudden, if I'm on my day off and I need to have, like, my Social Security card or my bank card or uh, all these extra things I don't normally carry around with me, I can just click, click, done and have it with me and switch it out that quick and easy the wallets are well made they're very very nice to hold they're pretty and it's just they're a thing of beauty and i'm 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 super happy that we get to work with a, a brand that is putting forth such fine quality products yeah, we wouldn't, you know, we've said this before. We, we are actively looking for sponsors, but we won't just take on anything because we're not awful people who are willing to sell out that hard. But my Have you heard of Raid Shadow Legends? Oh my gosh, and uh, Stamps.com. You don't need to go to the post office. You know. Hello, Fresh. Oh, fuck those guys so hard. But my extra wallet, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, this is an audio-only medium, but I'm going to still hold it up here. Uh, the, yep. the, the leather is just so smooth and buttery. The, uh, the card chamber, which... Uh, Makes that satisfying little click sound and just fans the cards out and that little ziggurat is great. Um, I got space over here for business cards for the band, for my freelance business, and also for my driver's license. And then I just carried some actual cash out of our gig the other night, and that goes right there in the band on the top. And See, even I didn't with recognize that because I never have cash. So I don't really carry cash either, but we get paid cash for gigs, and it still folds up smaller than my old dad wallet, which makes my chiropractor really, really happy. So uh, we cannot you just recommend need to put these wallets. Carrying enough. it in your back pocket. Yeah, I you know, I, it's it's a great idea. It's slim enough to fit in the front one. So, again, we would use these wallets even if Extra wasn't a sponsor. We're not those guys that are just going to pimp stuff just because they tell us to or because they're helping us out. But if you go to Extra Wallets right now, uh, E-K-S-T-E-R, Extra.com, they're having a big sale right now um, where you can pick up your wallet for, uh, I don't even know what this was. They were doing a Black Friday sale for a while. They're always running some kind of a deal. Something like that. They got a, they got a but deal going we're on. we're also Trust running me. a deal. Yeah. If you check out with promo code FANDOM, F-A-N-D-O-M, you can save 10% on your purchase. And any dividends we receive from our partnership with Extra, we are donating right back into the Fuel the Future program, which helps get comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. So uh, get a great wallet, uh, support the podcast that uh, you tolerate, and uh, also help out some kids. Uh, It's just really a win-win-win for everybody. Absolutely. So that is www.exter.com, E-K-S-T-E-R.com. 
and then use code fandom at checkout and join the happiness that me and Jim have found with these wallets. These things are great. So you will not be sorry. So now we do, as you've mentioned, have a topic for today and included with that topic, we finally have this guest coming on our program. Now we've, we've, uh, been toying around with how to get him on the podcast for a while and, uh, uh, it's taken a bit of doing schedule-wise, but I'm going to let you introduce our our guest for the day, Jim. Go ahead, do it. Cool. And I want to mention, just for the record, that uh, the, the getting the scheduling on for our guest has been in no way his fault. It's it's purely on us. Oh yeah. For uh, you know not being able to get our turds in the herd and our poops in a group for a, a little while to be able to, to schedule this to get him on. But uh, he today... hasn't had a grouped poop in ten years. <laughs> 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 Today we have a, a, a very dear friend of mine. He is the co-host of the Sports Trivia Podcast, Benchwarmers Trivia Podcast. Uh, he is the co-founder of uh, JAB Games and uh, just an all-around absolute nerd as we've been able to kind of check out from some of the wonderful stuff that's sitting behind him on camera. You guys Absolutely. can't see it, but we'll talk about some of it. But uh, today uh, on the program to talk with us about the national treasure that is Weird Al Yankovic is uh, my friend, your new friend, and everyone else's soon-to-be friend, Mr. Josh Bombach. Welcome to the Feel Your Fandom Podcast at long last, Josh. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. How's it going, Josh? Saints going good, going good, yeah. Um, We're we're glad to finally have you on. I mean, like you said, it wasn't ever an issue on your part. It's just a matter of uh, uh, just us getting our shit together and it's just more difficult some weeks than you might think oh, that's all right dude. it just it worked out great with you guys briefly discussing uh weird al when weird the al yankovic, al yankovic story came out i was just i hit jim up i said because i know that we were when i was first talking about coming on i was just kind of like hey at just about any topic i'm cool with but then um when you said we should probably do a show on weird al i, I was like that i i can do that because uh Oh. It's kind of it's kind of uh, interesting that we haven't really touched on Weird Al a whole lot. We've talked a lot about uh, cover music in particular uh, uh, and tribute music. Last week we had an episode with uh, uh, Kevin uh, Sucra of the Dark Sider, Dark Siders. I almost said Dark Siders. That's the Star Wars fan in me trying to come out, but uh, he, he's a really cool guy, music producer, and uh, and. Uh, but he sings and plays the keyboards for the Docksiders. Yeah, he it? sings and plays keys for the Docksiders, America's favorite yeah. yacht rock band. And he's an old friend of mine, and uh, we wanted to get on to talk about uh, cover music. But the, the Weird Al thing, it's, it's you know, it's we'll dig into it. But obviously, anybody who's alive in this timeline uh, knows of Weird Al. And if they don't, I feel deeply sorry for them. But um, whereas Weird Al's not exactly cover music, he still occupies a pretty interesting space in the zeitgeist. And and it's something that we really should have probably touched on before now. But I'm glad we didn't because we get to talk to Josh about it. Fact. So uh, for any of you who don't know, Weird Al Yankovic is a key, uh, uh, accordion player uh, who made it big uh, in the... What is it? Early to mid '80s. When did he finally? Yeah, he came around like. Yeah, I, I think '81. I want to say '81 was his first uh, self-titled album. And uh, came on the scene uh, through the Doctor Demento radio program, which uh, I never was. I never got to listen to the Doctor Demento radio program as it sat. Um, mostly just because I was before my time. Really, I was really young. 
But I discovered Dr. Demento through a lot of, uh, hey, this is our 10th year, this is our 20th year, these are our CD collections, and, and, uh, and all the different spoof music and, and silliness and shit that goes on on those uh, between uh, King Tut by Steve Martin or... Um, the probably all the fish a, heads or homecoming queen's got a gun that's what it was julie brown um fish heads or dead underground novelty or, music yeah uh, and so, I mean, I, of course, knew of Weird Al before I knew of Dr. Demento, but it's nice to see that that's how he got his start coming onto that program. And and uh, really, just it's something that, as a young kid, it sticks with you because you're like, hey, I like that song. Oh, my God, he's making fun of that song. That's great. Uh, and, and, and he really, he touches on all genres and all kind of different forms of music nobody is left unscathed and i think that's what's great about him yeah so, and not only is there nobody left unscathed but uh he and his band have the incredible talent to be able to adapt on a fly and, and absolutely sound like anybody and whereas a lot of uh parodists will take like a karaoke track and just improv new lyrics over it um he and his band are famous for being able to uh accurately recreate the sound of any other existing band and it's uh just kind of eerie how well they do it um, so Josh, how did, how did you first discover Weird Al and kind of what's your journey with, with him as, as an artist and a fan? Yeah. Uh, you know, this probably, it definitely goes back to the, you know, mid early to mid eighties. Um, my brother who's five years older than me, he was always into music and I don't know if you guys remember a lot of your listeners won't even know what I'm talking about, but Friday night videos. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> From the eighties. So yep. that was, you know, before we could get cable or that, that would come on, on, you know, one of the broadcast channels every Friday. So my brother would record it and we would watch all these videos. And of course, weird Al, especially early on did amazing videos. So he always got play on Friday night videos. So that was kind of that first introduction to him was through his videos. Um, and when I was 10, I got, I saw him for the first time live at uh, the great Minnesota get together, the Minnesota state fair on one of the free music stages. So at the age of 10, I, I watched him perform, eat it and a bunch of things from his first couple albums. And I was totally hooked at that point. And so for the next, you know, 35 plus years, I've just been a huge fan i've seen him i think seven is the right number but it could be eight and maybe i'm missing one um i try not to miss when he comes into town so as you as you get older the years just kind of blend away it's like oh have i seen him five six times seven times holy shit it's been ten times okay i don't hey, unless you're jim and it's better than ezra then you know damn well how many times you got it tattooed on your thousand. inner thigh you got a little well, no but it's on, on my arm <laughs> Uh, I just looked yeah, it up. Him. Weird Al debuted in nineteen seventy-six. Wow. He was sixteen years old when he got his first song on the Dr. Demento radio program. Seventy-six. So I was I wasn't even thought That's of. Outstanding. I was, I was less one. than one. Minus one for me. <laughs> I was one. So Yeah, me and too. I was trying to me think too, when when, yeah, when when Josh said he'd seen him uh, seven or eight times, I thought, how many times have I seen Weird Al? And I, I was thinking about 
I know of two, but then I actually stretched back. And just now when you were saying you saw him at the Minnesota State Fair, I saw Weird Al when he opened for the Monkees. Uh, and I want to say it might it could have been the uh, the Dare to be Stupid tour, but it might have also been the, the oh, 3D tour. Awesome. That's how old. Yeah, as long ago as that was. So I, I and, and I've seen him four times. Um, and I've once seen when three. I was too young to even to drive myself to the show. Another time at the Rave in Milwaukee. And there's a great fun story about how I met him there that I'll get to in a minute. And then I actually also saw him. I want to say like a state fair or summer fest or something, some big summer music festival. I remember the costume changes. And then most recently I saw him uh, right before COVID in the fall of 2019. Um, your friend and mine, St. Uh, uh, Deanna, uh, who was an old perverted justice contributor. We had been friends for a long, long time. She was super supportive through my divorce and, and we just never met in person. So she said, you know what? Uh, she was talking about how she was taking her son to go and see a show, Red Rocks. And I said, oh, Red Rocks, what a bucket lister that is. So she said, hey, you know what? We've never met, and, and we really should hang out. So why don't you go ahead and, and look at the upcoming show schedule at Red Rocks for the coming season, pick out a show you want to see, and I'll get tickets. And if you can get your ass to Denver, you can stay with me, and we'll go see a show at Red Rocks. And that's when I saw Al on the Strings Attached tour with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. So it's been four times for me. But that show, the most recent one that I saw, was when it really drove home just how timeless this guy is because there were people older than me, people my age, and people younger than me with little kids coming to see this. And it was just... A brilliant, beautiful thing to see all these people coming together for this uh, completely wholesome and fucking national treasure of an artist um, who just spans generations, who spans genres, and who just has remained relevant longer than most of the artists he spoofed, which is just a real a testament to his his talent and his staying power. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like I said, I think I've seen them three times, maybe, no, four times, and uh, it's always been... Uh, state fair kind of settings which is the easiest way to get in to see him so and a hell of a show too i mean the guy just is, is a legendary performer as well as being a uh a all the costume changes and everything that he does on stage like most most performers wouldn't go through that much trouble unless you're like mariah carey and you need like 16 different outfits or yeah or whatever but he'll go through he'll go do uh the jedi outfit he'll do the fat suit he'll do the uh well, his, obviously he's going to wear the Hawaiian shirts, but... Uh, oh, what's what's funny is famously on this last tour or two, and, yeah. he isn't doing, because of the, uh, the the controversy around the you know the Neverland thing and, and the whole Michael Jackson thing, uh, he's not doing the uh, the Michael Jackson stuff live anymore in concert. He's, he's hmm. made the decision to sort of quietly step away from that, which just is another it layer of how wholesome this hand, guy is. It sucks on the one hand, but on the other yeah. hand, he's got such a vast body of music that... Trimming out a couple songs here or there in the grand scheme of things, you're not really going to notice. But so. he's just, I mean, it, his his wife even said in this this article that I read not long ago, I think it was in Rolling Stone or The Atlantic or something, that the dude is so wholesome, he won't even use profanity at home. And she said, you know, once or twice we even said, come on, Al, it's just us, you and I. And he's like, I just can't do it. And for somebody to be that pure, that wholesome, and that genuinely funny, I mean, it's easy to make a dick joke. It's easy to make a fart joke. It's easy to drop an F bomb in, in a live stand up or me, concert setting. And oh, yeah, and, and get laughs out of it. It's, you know, to be profane. But the fact that this guy has made an entire career out of being clean, but still being absolutely the cleverest thing on two legs and astoundingly funny is just testament again to his national treasure status. Absolutely, and even his most recent tour, the uh, let's call it the, the self-indulgent, ill-advised. You know, there's many yeah. more words to it where he played <laughs> all of his original stuff. There was no parodies yeah. until deeper cuts. Until the encore, um, just how how clever he is, even just making his own songs that aren't parodies. Yeah. 
it's because well, he, he does he is, a lot he's of a national treasure. While he does a lot of good parody work, and, and trust me, he does. He's the key, a preeminent person on the planet doing it. He also has a lot of stuff that sounds evocative of other bands. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple of them offhand. Is a uh, Trigger Happy off of uh, what was the Nevermind album? The one that looked like Nevermind. Off the deep end. Off the yes. deep end. Right. Right. I, I, my memory kind of slips sometimes, but. I got a whole album. list here of songs <laughs> and albums, so I've got. I'm not. This isn't all coming up. right off my, the top of my dome, so. <laughs> but uh, Trigger Happy was very evocative of like old Beach Boys tunes, or I'll Sue Ya uh, was uh, Rage Against the Machine. Um, yeah, Germs. eBay was, his, uh, his, his eBay was the Doors. Bestie. Yeah, Germs, Nine Inch Nails. I mean, so he's got enough range. Him and his band have enough range where they can do an original song but it sounds exactly like oh my god that's that's fucking nine inch nails that's that's rage against yeah. the machine there i mean and that's i kind of put rid songs into three different buckets there's the parody songs which are a direct spoof of a given mm-hmm. song that's immediately identifiable because it's basically the track with with improvised lyrics uh not improvised but but fresh lyrics over certainly top of not it. improvised then there's then there's the one kind of in the middle, like you were talking about, which is an original song, but one that emulates another songwriter's style, which to me, those are some of my favorite songs, because I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to make a brilliant parody of an existing track, but to be able to internalize another songwriter's process to the point where you can create a song in their style that's immediately recognizable as being in their style and still pull that off. Uh, some of my favorites are that, like, um, Why Does This Always Happen to Me, which is a Ben Folds. I love Ben Folds, and that is so closely a Ben Folds song. He even had Ben Folds play piano on that track. But even, like, the backup harmony structures are perfect on that. But my favorite um, song in that bucket has to be Close But No Cigar, because I love Cake. She was gorgeous, she was charming, yeah, she was perfect. And that song, all the hallmarks of a great cake song are there. You've got these sort of monotone vocal delivery, the off-mic shout choruses, the trumpet, the snaky bass lines, the vibra slap. It's all in there. And if you took just the raw track and put John McRae singing Al's original vocals over top of it, it would be indiscernible from a cake song. And then the, the songs in the third bucket are the purely original songs that are just his own, that don't actually emulate or attempt to emulate any other existing artist. And... uh Boy, as much attention as those parodies get, and as much as he's kind of known as a pop culture parodist, songs in Bucket 2 or 3 are some of my favorites, because not not just the ingenuity and the inventiveness of them, but they're just genuinely fucking amazing songs. That's true. Uh, So, I was reading, uh, like, scrolling down his Wikipedia, and one of the things that bothered me is, and and obviously it bothers Al enough that it's it's listed on his Wikipedia in its own little chapter... Misattribution and imitators. And uh, this is something I came across back in the whole downloading music phase. when Oh, sure, yeah, the LimeWire Napster era. Right. I've downloaded my fair share of illegal tracks. And I know Al's talked about don't download this song. I know that was tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but The record stores where you belong. 
But uh, I've also bought all of Weird Al Yankovic's CDs in hand multiple times. So unseen. You know it's going to be quality. I've paid my dues, my sir. But uh, the talk about on uh, uh, LimeWire and Napster and things like that, how often all these different parody songs would be attributed to Weird Al. And uh, he even quotes on the the Wikipedia, it says... uh, if you do a search for my name on any one of these sites, I guarantee you that about half the songs that come up will be songs I had absolutely nothing to do with. That particularly bothers me because I really try to do quality work and I also try to maintain uh-huh. a more or less family-friendly image. And some of these songs that are supposedly by me are just, well, vulgar and awful. I truly think my reputation has suffered in a lot of people's minds because of those fake Weird Al songs floating around the internet. And that's what we're talking about. Well, he's not exactly uh, cornered the market on on parody. He's definitely like the preeminent. But uh, there are things like your Bob Rivers Twisted Tunes or your... your. I mean, I remember a Bob Rivers song that I thought was Weird Al at first. Dirty Deeds Done With Sheep. And uh, you can imagine what that was uh, a spoof of, but uh, there's a there was a lot of that going on misattribution, and and, and it's really kind of sad that his reputation, his sparkling, crystal clean, pristine reputation, has taken any kind of hit for anything, much less other people's bullshit, which is kind of terrible. So, um, now, like you said, there's three different categories of Weird Al songs. Uh, and like you said, it's the parody, the the sound alike, and then the polka. And uh, I've always had a lot of fun with the polkas. Well, you know what? Because... That, that, then we got to add a fourth bucket because the, the, I, I didn't forget about the polkas. But you're right. There's the the parody, the style parody, uh, the polka medley, and then the purely original song. So I was wrong earlier. I'll admit oh, yeah, that there are actually bad, four categories of rough categories of Weird Al songs. Right. And uh, I've always had a lot of fun with those those polka parodies because you get like. Uh, six to ten different takes on songs through polka in one of these parodies unless it's a focused one like and i had to remind myself that this was an actual legitimate song i looked it up this morning um uh but the bohemian polka Which I thought mm-hmm. would would be fun for you, just because it's you know Bohemian Rhapsody and your yeah. affinity for Queen. But uh, the Hamilton polka is another one of those rare non medley polkas that he recorded. So let's just kind of go down and and talk about uh, what are your uh, some of your favorite Weird Al tracks and why. So let's start with Josh because. Uh, uh, we we like to treat our guests better than we treat ourselves. So, well, and Josh also prepared for this, much unlike us. I right. I I, I do. I did. I I've actually ranked all his songs in three buckets: parodies, originals, and polka. But uh, let's Jesus. hear it. I'm I'm ready. Go. Um. So with the parody, there's not going to be a ton that probably jumps out as really that's on your top. Uh, number one for me is Yoda. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's just okay. one of his, you know, it's back from Parody's Dirty Stupid. Lola. Yeah. Yep. Like Kinks? Uh, um, I do have, an, probably in my top ten, I think I have three off of Mandatory Fun. Um, I, Better that album might than be a lot of people favorite. gave it credit for. That might be my favorite one. album, top to bottom. Yeah. Um, so Word Crimes is probably my second number two parody. So brilliant. Parody of uh, Word Lines by uh, Robin Thicke. As, yep. as somebody who's made his living writing my entire life, that song particularly resonates with me on a couple levels. <laughs> I have to imagine you, you you really appreciate that one. I do. Um, number three for me for parodies is Party in the CIA. Yeah. Um, parody <laughs> of Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. That brings up a, a point I wanted to make somewhere today. I wanted to. I, I actually had a tabbed list where I'm like, I need to make sure I talk about this because I do. I listen to Weird Al at volume, at length, especially when a new album comes out. But typically, I'll have I have a Spotify station I can go to that just bumps out the Weird Al. And now that my kids are into it too, I do it as well. And uh, in fact, we cleaned the house a week ago, doing nothing but blaring Weird Al tracks and. It was fantastic because you just say, you know, Echo, play Weird Al, and boom, there you go. But uh, it's, I've come across this phenomenon, and I don't know if this has ever hit you guys, but I listen to my music in my car. It's either because I'm old and need I'm hard of hearing, or I just like my music loud, or column A, column B. But I like to listen to music loud, and so I'm driving around in my sporty little Mustang with the windows down on a summer day blasting Weird Al, thinking I'm having a blast, right? And then all of a sudden I realize outside of the car, nobody knows it's Weird Al. Because the music is so good, so technically accurate, and that's just a nod to his band. They're so technically accurate that I look like I'm driving down the road blaring Party in the CIA, but I sound like I'm blaring Miley Cyrus as I drive, or I'm I'm blaring... uh, uh, poker face poker face when i'm listening to i mean it's just have you guys ever run across that where you've actually legitimately sat and thought like i listened like i'm listening to fucking uh, rico suave right now when i'm listening to taco grande i mean d- does that ever hit you and i don't know if that actually hits me but the thing that i have a problem with is i listen to his song his parody so often that when the original song comes on <laughs> the lyrics that are going in my head are weird Al's lyrics, even though that's not 
what I'm listening to at that moment. And that has become a problem for some of the original artists. Don McLean of American Pie <laughs> fame has many times said that when he's on stage performing it, he occasionally has to actually actively fight the Saga Begins lyrics coming into his head <laughs> because he loved that song so much and it was so brilliantly done. And that's like, as an aside, we'll get back to, to, to Josh's faves in a second. I don't want to distract, but we, we meander. We, we tangent on this podcast to a fault. But the, no. the whole thing about that song is Al um, has this thing where he likes to... Parody is covered under Fair Use Copyright Act. He could, if he wanted to, just record whatever the fuck he wanted. But he very famously reaches out to the original artists and says, hey, are you cool if I parody your song? And you know, Prince very famously said no. Uh, Coolio originally said no, but then relented and went back and let him do... Uh, well, you his, know, his, uh, record company said, his record company right. said yes, then he said no after the fact and then yeah and then, lady gaga yeah. when when he did perform this way uh, her, her production company and people said no and she apparently heard about it and got super pissed and then said he could do it but james he contacted blunt. lucasfilm yeah james, james blunt, blunt. yeah the, the track is littered with it but al contacted lucasfilm and said hey i want to do uh a a, a song that's a spoof of american pie that covers phantom menace uh, in, in context, but I want to be able to make sure that it's accurate to what the movie's about, so if you guys can give me a plot rundown, I promise I won't spoil it, but I want to have this out to help promote your movie at the time when it drops. And Lucasfilm was like, well, it's the first new Star Wars film in many years, we're kind of safely guarding it, we're not going to do that. And I said, okay, that's cool, and piece together the saga begins from trailers and internet rumors, and it wound up being so fucking accurate <laughs> that it's basically an IMDb synopsis. We all fought in that epic war And it wasn't long at all before Little Hotshot flew his plane and saved the day And in the end some Gungans died Some ships blew up and some pilots fried A lot of folks were croaking The battle droids were broken And the Jedi I admire most Met up with Darth Maul and now he's toast Well I'm still here and he's a ghost I guess I'll train this boy And I was singing My, my, this here Anakin guy And that's just further testament again to the brilliance and prescience of this man. Anyway. Well, I mean, the... The good yeah. news here is, Jim, my number four on my top parodies is The Saga Love Begins. Hey. <laughs> uh, all right, so what you got next? Uh, next, I have uh, one of the problematic songs, uh, Eat It. I have a hard time not just that's a reminiscence. You know, that's me going back to the first time I saw his videos and saw him. Yeah. Um, that was what really kicked the door open and, and, and really broke him wide was because Michael Jackson was, I mean, the Thriller album was still one of the best selling albums of all time. And for him to take on an artist like that and do such a brilliant thing and have it be, you know, not just uh, the, the song be a, such a direct spoof, but the video be so parallel um, was just the first time a lot of people really heard. I, first time I heard the word Al was when my uh, I went over to the neighbor kid's house across the street and he played Mr. Frump in the Iron Lung from the self-titled record. 
You know, Mr. Frump is my very best friend. He's never a chump or a tease. He never tells me lies. And best of all, he never disagrees. I bring him candy and flowers every afternoon. Sit down by his side and say hi. And then I ask him his opinion of the world situation. And I wait for Mr. Frump's reply. And Mr. Frump would say... And that's when I knew that I was on board with the dude. So by the time, not that I'm like, oh, I was into Brito before he was cool. It's my one claim to hipster cred. But when uh, <laughs> when Eat It dropped, I was just absolutely stoked because, I mean, it was just letting the air out of an artist who was so self-important at the time. Not, as it turns out, like Prince, like self-important enough that he's like, no, you can't spoof my shit. But still, I mean, it was such a flashpoint pop culture zeitgeist kind of moment that I still look back on it very fondly. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many more you wanted me to go down these different yeah, lists. Give, give but, us a few more. Uh, so of the parodies, next I have Foil, um, off a of Mandatory Fun again. Mandatory yeah. Fun, yeah. And soon you've got black helicopters coming across the border, puppet masters for the new world order. Be aware, there's always someone that's watching you, and still the government won't admit they faked a whole moon landing. Thought control race, psychotronic scan. Protected because I made this hat from aluminum foil. foil. Where I had this foil lined in case an alien's inclined to probe your butt or read your mind. Looks a bit peculiar. Seems a little crazy, but someday I'll prove there's a big conspiracy. Um, you know, so the Parody of Royals by Lord. Next, another one for Mandatory Fun, Handy. Um, spoofing uh, Fancy by Iggy Azalea. Uh, just kind of round out my top ten. Eight white nerdy. My MySpace page is all totally pimped out. Got people begging for my top eight spaces. Yo, I know pie to a thousand places. Ain't got no grills, but I still wear braces. I order all of my sandwiches with mayonnaise. I'm a whiz at Minesweeper. I can play for days. Once you see my sweet moves, you're gonna stay amazed. My fingers moving so fast, I set the place ablaze. There's no killer rap I haven't run. At Pascal, well I'm number one. Do vector calculus just for fun. I ain't got a gap, but I got a soldering gun. Happy days is my favorite theme song. I can sure kick your butt in a game of ping pong. I'll ace any trivia quiz you bring on. I'm fluent in JavaScript as well as Klingon. Art I sing. Number nine, Amish Paradise. Great. Amish Paradise is also yeah, yeah. White and Nerdy is a chameleon. Air has come out several times and said he's irritated that Al has such flow. Uh, but it, you know, <laughs> the fact that White and Nerdy became more famous than the original song uh, is is kind of just again, the man's a goddamn genius. And we're talking uh, about how you absolutely substitute these lyrics in your heads and. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to do that as a karaoke DJ. I'd play the original track and then sing the Weird Al track over it. But uh, I do that in the in my car. I have a hip hop playlist, and and every occasionally uh, 
uh, Riding Dirty will pop up, and in my head, I'm I'm doing White and Dirty. So, yeah, I guess a chameleon air actually credits uh, the parody for him winning his Grammy because it just it got so big. Like um, and and it just bump, boosted like his it boosted yeah. his yeah. status. The Yankovic bump they talked about in the amazingly accurate biopic on the Roku <laughs> channel that just came out a couple weeks ago. Oh, we'll definitely need to talk about that. that uh, for sure. Oh my god, that just... I haven't laughed out loud at a movie as much recently as I did at that one. But uh, I did, and I had a feeling my wife and kids had no idea why I was laughing so hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's kind of my uh, number 10, I guess, out of my parodies is uh, Fat. Once again, a little problematic these days, you know. But, uh, but that kind of rounds out my top ten of parodies. Well, I never used a phone booth, and I never seen my toes. When I'm going to the movies, I take up seven rows because I'm fat, fat, I'm fat. Come on, really, really fat. You know I'm fat, fat, I'm fat. You know I'm really, really fat. You know I'm fat, fat, I'm fat. Come on, really, really you fat. know. Don't you call me pudgy, portly, or stout. Body positive in a time when body positive wasn't True. a thing. True. Think yeah. about it that True. way. Find your I silver lining. So there you go. Yeah, so that's my top ten of parodies. I don't know if you guys have any other parodies that you guys are particularly fond of. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, Saga Begins, but you, know, you talked about uh, Yoda. Yoda's always a good one. Um, Parody-wise... Uh, there's just not a bad one. Shit. It's really hard it, to narrow it down. It's yeah, exactly that. Uh, Gump was really good. It was just clever. Uh, right around when Forrest Gump came out, parodying Lump by the Presidents of the United States. Gump was a big celebrity. He told JFK that he really had to pee. He never feels too dumb because his mom always told him stupid is as stupid does. He's Gump. He's Gump. MacArthur Park parodied into Jurassic Park mm-hmm. was fantastic. Um, yeah, that's another, that I have special like? love. Uh, Jurassic Park was great, but Jurassic Park was also one of Al's uh, longer songs. And that kind of like, there's a couple of songs that he did that I have a special love for because he just put the pedal to the floor and completely went genius in France. Which is kind of a Zappa Sparks thing, which is a really long, long track. Uh, right. Albuquerque, which is utterly brilliant. And my dear sweet mother, she just looked at me like a cow looks at an oncoming train. And she leaned right down next to me. And she said, It's good for you! And then she tied me to the wall and stuck a funnel in my mouth and force-fed me nothing but sauerkraut until I was 26 and a half years old. That's when I swore that someday, someday I would get out of that basement and travel to a magical faraway place where the sun is always shining and the air smells like warm root beer and the towels are oh so fluffy. Where the shriners and the lepers play their ukuleles all day long and anyone on the street 
And Jackson Park Express off of Mandatory Fun, which is another one that is just, yep. they're, they're very long songs, but they're just brilliantly done. And I, I saw him do Jackson Park Express in total at the um, the uh, the Strings Attached Tour. And, uh, you know, that's which is also kind of a bummer. I actually would have seen Al five times, if not for the fact that on the um, the ill-advised uh, tour that uh, Josh referenced earlier, uh, I, a friend of mine uh, who's also a uh, fan of the podcast, Justin, if you're listening, hey, I'm still bummed that I missed that. But uh, Justin had gotten tickets for uh, for Steph and I to go and see that, and then she and I got COVID and couldn't go. And that was right around the same time when, yeah, when when, when uh, COVID sidelined Al for a couple of dates on that tour. So I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, I'll have other opportunities and I'm going to have to take those. But, um, yeah, um, those are fantastic and just uh, alarmingly okay. oh. complex. Long songs, don't forget, trapped in the drive-thru. Now we see this acne-ridden kid about 16 Wearing a dorky name tag that says, Hello, my name is Eugene And he hands me a paper bag I look him in the eyes And I say to him, hey Eugene Could I get some ketchup for my fries? Well, he looks at me And I look at him And he looks at me And I look at him and he looks at me, and I look at him, and he says, I'm sorry, what did you want again? I say ketchup, and he says, oh yeah, that's right, I just based out there for a second, I'm really kind of burned tonight. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Another one he won't do anymore for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, you can't right. obviously tell who's going to wind up being somebody who gets arrested or disgraced later on in their career. But um, yeah, trapped in the drive-through. The uh, obviously the the R. Kelly spoof, which is mm-hmm. oh boy, I bet he wishes he could erase that from his track record. But again, it's not his fault. He just does what what the pop culture demands, and yep. and there and, you go. And, and one little side note: while we're talking about the long Weird Al song, let's talk about the shortest Weird Al song. Absolutely one of my favorites, Harvey the Wonder Hamster. Yeah, got to talk about that. Definitely. And let me be your hog is I think probably the second shortest song he's done. But uh, still, yeah, I mean, the, the man can make brilliance out of 45 seconds or he can do 15 minutes and it's still just wall to wall genius. Absolutely. 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 Uh, yeah. Mandatory Fun was his last album. Wow. That was back in 2004. And actually, I think I remember reading he said it will be his last album. What? He is not. Well, he, I don't know if this, again, you can never tell what's real with Weird Al and what's not. I mean, obviously the entire uh, biopic was a, a spoof of biopics in keeping with his, uh, his his track record. But he famously jokes, I think, that he had a 14-album contract with Scotty Brothers, which is his label. Um, and he's done with that now. So he said coming out with whole albums in the era when people would still buy albums made sense. But now he says having the flexibility to maybe drop a song or two as they pop up in the culture stops him from yep. having to wait until there's a, a point in the in the popular culture where there's enough songs that are ubiquitous enough in the culture because i mean all right 
I've long maintained that the music industry kind of suffered a one-two punch in the 90s. First, when uh, the Telecommunications Act got signed into law and uh, companies like uh, uh, iHeartRadio and um, Clear Channel just bought up a bunch of rec- uh, uh, radio stations in a given town, which was famously a plot point in UHF, which we'll also get to. You didn't used to be able to do that. And um, <laughs> then they just started homogenizing playlists. And then Napster came along in 99, and you can't compete with free. So the music industry got really decimated. And there just aren't those gigantic culture-dominating hits anymore that are going to be tropey enough to be easily recognizable by a wide audience. So Weird Al's kind of album moment where he could put together a collection of 12 or 13 songs that everybody would know or at least understand what he was referencing is kind of gone. So he's he's come out and he said that after mandatory fun, he's just going to drop songs when he feels like it, you know, on a one-on-one basis without really having to worry about putting together an album per se. I think that's the right move. You know, I can, I can respect that because A, it's not going to hurt his brand. Nothing's right. going to hurt his He's bulletproof at this point as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's nothing that, I mean, he could literally go out and just tour the hits for yeah. the rest of his life, ad infinitum. And Nobody he, blame he would, him. And he would sell out lazy. Shows. But nobody right. would blame him. But yeah, but I mean, obviously with, he, yeah. he did this with the Hamilton polka, right? Like he yeah. just he made the polka, put it out there as a single song. Same yeah. with whatever you like. He just yeah. you know dropped it as a track and put it on YouTube and released the single. Yeah, I mean, so I guess I can't fault him that. And I was actually, as you were talking about that, I, I read uh, on the wiki that it talks about that after mandatory fun. Last traditional album, switching to a more timely releases of singles and EPs. So, that's kind of a bummer on one hand, but at the same time, who's I'm not buying really any CDs anymore. It's all streaming. If I like, I a will song, once I in a while. My but, playlist. Well, yeah, to support I, an artist, I'll do it. But yeah, I'll buy individual tracks. But I mean, I you know, I I, I I'm going to date myself here, but hey, somebody has to. But dumb Tish. But I used to uh, right after college, I worked at a record store for a while. And it was a used record store, so the entire store was pretty much our jukebox. But, you know, that was um, kind of pre-Napster, and it was really a time when people could still buy albums. And I, I don't, I kind of lament the loss of the album in terms of the way that it reflects, you know, uh, music culture, because there were some really deep tracks on some of the albums that I, that I bought that I wanted to be in some of my favorite songs of those albums, Weird Al and other artists included. Um, but, like, the record store culture... I don't lament that that, that artists have the power in their own hands now to kind of do what Weird Al has done and just release songs on their own schedule. And the fact that the lopsided record contract of yesteryear where you'd make seven cents on a record and that wasn't even payable until you recouped what it cost them to record and promote it. Those days are kind of gone. But I do lament record store culture. Like, I used to kind of work at that place, but I say kind of work because I don't really work very hard. I was in my 20s and it was a record store. But, um... Yeah, the, the, the idea that people could congregate, music lovers could get together at a, at a gathering point and just kind of recommend music to each other and, and discover new things and listen to whole albums and realize that their favorite track was kind of buried as, as like a, a, an album closer or right in the middle of the pack or something. Those days are gone, and, and that's kind of a bummer. But, but at the same time, I mean, you know, technology moves and the world changes and people kind of adapt. And I think music in general and Red Al in particular have really done that to their, their benefit. Yeah, That's and true. I think, I think it, uh, you know, like Kate Bush would say that streaming actually can be beneficial <laughs> for sure. w- when you get. She's a when, millionaire now because of it, <laughs> right? Jesus. So obviously, uh, you know, it takes a lot of people listening, but if, you know, if you get something viral happening, you know, these artists can obviously can make some good money off of the streaming. I know in general. Uh, 
any given one listen probably doesn't get them much, but you know. All right, well, let's hear what some of your favorite original songs are, because those are honestly some of my favorites on any given album. Yes. Okay, so my favorite uh, original is Pancreas, out of the straight out of Linwood. My pancreas is always there for me. that one as a, as the a latter be choice sort of thing yes know? yes that one uh i listened to that with um my stepkids years back when it came out and they were tickled pink by this song and it just it was so much fun you referenced jim my number two which is albuquerque that is my second uh, favorite original yes. song i was just listening to it before we started recording and it's just so entertaining. I hate sauerkraut. That's all I'm really trying to say. Like, so, I, mean, I hate just, sauerkraut. It's, it's word salad start <laughs> to finish, but it's absolutely captivating the way he does it. The I fact mean, that he, he can sustain he, your interest and your attention throughout like a, a 17, 18 minute, it's not that long, but a lengthy, lengthy, like eight, 10 minute long track is just, again, testament to the man's genius. Absolutely. When I was driving through Albuquerque, I had that blasting out the window. It was fantastic. You have to. Yeah. Uh, number three on the originals is CNR off of uh, Alpocalypse. Nelson Riley won the two day frogs with two flat tires and a missing chain. He trained a rattlesnake to do his laundry. I'm telling you, the man was insane. He could rip out your beating heart and show it to you right before you died. Every day he'd make a host of match game, give him a piggyback ride. Yeah. Charles Nelson, Charles Nelson Riley. Riley. Yep. Which is the uh, White Stripes uh, pastiche. Correct, correct. Um, I showed you guys my shirt before we started. I have my yeah. uh, Big Roy's Heating and Plumbing. And being from Minnesota, obviously, I've got a soft spot for my number four song, which is the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Well, we crossed the state line about 639, and we saw the sign that said twine ball exit 50 miles. Oh, the kids were so happy they started singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall for the 27th time that day. So we pulled off the road at the last chance gas station, got a few more pickled wieners and a diet chocolate soda. On our way to see the biggest bottle of twine in Minnesota. We're going to see the biggest bottle of twine in Minnesota. <laughs> Yeah, I got a chance to play that song at the Minnesota Fringe Festival at a show a number of years ago. It's one of my favorites as well. Uh, I got to listen to that one. I haven't heard that one in a while. Um, My number five, um, I am a sports guy. I know sports isn't really your guys' jam, but obviously I I have a sports trivia podcast. And um, the sports song off of Mandatory Fun, uh, it's just so fun. I mean, even if you're not into it, but just that whole kind of a uh, you know, marching band style. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Lark of a song. 
In fact, we played teams across the nation, and you're the worst one we've come across. Try to assimilate that information, and it just might help you cope with your impending loss. Oh, and if somehow we are still failing to effectively articulate the points at hand, allow us now to summarize them in a manner that your feeble brains can understand. Appropriate for the time of uh, year, my sixth favorite original is The Night Santa Went Crazy. Well, the workshop is gone now. He decided to bomb it. Everywhere you'll find pieces of Cupid and Comet. And he tied up his helpers. And he held the elves hostage. And he ground up poor Rudolph into reindeer sausage. He got Dancer and Prancer with an old German Luger. And it slashed up Dasher just like Freddy That is my number one favorite Christmas song. And I don't like a whole lot of Christmas music. <laughs> it's that, and then it's, uh, uh, what was the other one? I like Christmas the, at David, Ground Zero? Christmas at Ground Zero, yes. But Love Christmas at Ground Zero. Another song I was trying to figure out was, uh, I don't remember it offhand. It wasn't a Weird Al song, but, uh, oh, okay. and then the uh, the uh, uh, Gary Hoey, the Ho Ho Hoey. Uh, CDs I've always been a fan of. He's a guitar player, but uh, yeah, I saw definitely. Gary. Oh, he opened up for Brian May of Queen when he was doing his uh, solo tour. That'd be a dynamite cool. guitar player. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Those are good songs for sure. You got a few more? Oh uh, yeah, uh, seven on my originals is "This Is the Life" off of "Dare to Be Stupid." That's it probably was... closer to number three or two or three for me. Well, I love was... the, just the poppiness of it. I don't remember. Did he write that for? It was for Johnny, Johnny Dangerously. Johnny Danger. I don't know that he wrote it for Johnny Dangerously, but it became a part of the soundtrack for Johnny right. Dangerously. And the video is obviously inspired by Johnny Dangerously. So yeah, yeah. Uh, number I've eight. always really enjoyed that one. Oh, sorry. Uh, number okay. eight is I'll Sue Ya. I'm a big Rage Against the Machine fan, and uh, yeah. hearing him, you know, do it in the style <laughs> of them, that's just, once again, he's just so clever. I mean, I don't know how yes. else you talk about him, uh, that he comes up with just the funniest, cleverest 
I mean, obviously yeah. we're heaping a ton of praise on him and it's all due. Right. Yeah. Warranted for sure. Yeah. This is not one of those episodes where it's faint praise. This is all <laughs> definitely earned. It's slavish and he deserves it. The last couple I have that I'll, that I'll share is uh, one more minute off of dare to be stupid. I love it's always that been one, one of my faves. That's right. That's right. You ain't gonna see me crying. I'm glad, I'm glad. that you found somebody new. Cause I'd rather spend eternity eating shards of broken glass than spend one more minute with you. So romantic. And then, uh, one of his other shorter songs, um, Weasel Stomping Day, rounds out my top ten. Come along and have a laugh. Snap their weaselly spines in half. Grab your boots and stomp your cares away. Hit it, parade, it's Weasel Stomping Day. The video for which, the claymation video, is just brilliance and personified. <laughs> Every time I listen to Weasel Stomping Day, I'm reminded of that Simpsons episode where they're going snake whacking. And Homer's got a <laughs> snake whacking stick and everything like that. And, and I just, he I was hear tired him. of Weird Al, he's tired of life. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of rounds out my top tens. So. Absolutely. Wonderful. Those are all great choices. Jim, throw a few of your favorites at us. Well, I mean, Josh touched on on uh, uh, word crimes, which is near and dear to my heart because of uh, how I work with words. But the um, I got to say, "Tacky" uh, is is another one that just brilliant start to finish, and not just the song, but the, the single video. take video with all the celebrity oh. cameos in it. Uh, Eric Stone Street and Aisha Tyler and Jack Black and and just Margaret Show. Everybody was in that. Kristen Shaw and Margaret. Oh, Pace so brilliant! Show, Loved yeah. it. Um, because of, of my, 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 uh, lengthy job, uh, writing sometimes at the corporate level, I also have uh, mad love for mission statement, the CSNY, uh, spoof that is uh, kind of very reminiscent of sweet Judy blue eyes. Um, but that is built completely of corporate gobbledygook speak. Bringing to the table, our capitalized reputation. and deliverables with cross-platform innovation networking soon will bring seamless integration um it's, it's absolute brilliance oh you have to it's it's called mission statement and it's uh it's a crosby stills national young style like uh kind of folksy harmony it's unmistakable the style if you know anything about their music and it's just made up of um of the kind of shit you would read in corporate mission statements. Just the, the, the very special brand that I am, again, very close to, whether, whether I want to be or not, of, um, you know, a corporate speak about uh, synergy and monetizing assets and all that bullshit. Um, but very f- recently, um, okay, I was a huge fan of UHF. Um, 
growing up. I had the movie poster hanging on my wall. I, I buy the DVD because I keep on lending it out and, or losing it. And I, I, it's five bucks at Target. Every time I pass it, I buy another copy, it seems. But um, I also, uh, when I when I had a chance to talk to Weird Al, very briefly, uh, years and years ago, outside of the rave in Milwaukee, which, again, testament to this man's character, um, the rave is, is uh, a venue in Milwaukee that's pretty small, but there's no place else without front to park the bus. It's very There's literally no place else, either in the front or the back. And so a lot of people, when they go to see bands there, will stalk the band and kind of stake out the door and wait. So Al came out, and I have a picture. It's an actual, this is it's long ago enough there was an actual paper print of a picture. And I think I know where it is. It's hanging out with a friend that I got to contact her and get it back because it's it's uh, um, in a closet or something at her house. But I got a chance to talk to the guy and meet him, and he was just so charming and lovely, everything you'd want him to be. But he spent about an hour, hour and a half outside this concert, you know, uh, shaking babies and kissing hands and taking pictures and signing autographs. And um, after a minute, his manager actually came off the bus and was like, you guys, you have to, he he just worked really hard. He did a show. Plus he banged his head on some stuff backstage and he's a little woozy. You need to leave him alone. And I was like, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have time for the fans. And he stood there for another 45 minutes while she stood in the doorway of his bus with her arms crossed, lips pursed and tapping her foot. <laughs> and he made sure everybody who wanted one got a picture or an anecdote or, or an autograph or something. And just everything you'd want him to be close personal friends of Al has long been his fan club. And boy, he makes you feel like that. But, um, I asked him during that period, you know, I, I said, I love UHF. Are we going to ever get another movie? And he said, you know, I got some ideas. I'd love to do something. But, you know, Hollywood is even more draconian and Byzantine than the record industry. And I just don't know if I'll ever get another one out. So I was super happy to see the uh, the, the Daniel Radcliffe starring biopic that uh, hit Roku a couple of weeks ago. Um, absolute brilliance, stem to stern and, and uh, snout to tail. And, and I loved every second of it. But it also brought to light another when Josh says clever is the only word you can really use to describe this guy. If you heard the closing credits song on that one, um, if you stayed through the credits, which you should have, even though you could turn off your Roku at any time, you're not obligated to sit there and watch the credits. I always watch credits. Marvel trained us to do that. And prior to that, Ferris Bueller did. But the song that, that plays over the closing credits is so fucking brilliant that it's it's worth the price of Roku. It, you, whatever you paid to buy your TV or your stick or whatever you used to stream on, that song is worth listening to. And I'm not going to spoil any surprises on it, but if you haven't seen the movie or if you skipped out on the credits, go back and check out that song or go to uh, YouTube and, and look up um, Now You Know by Weird Al. It's his most recent release a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, it, I'm not going to ruin it for you. Just listen to it and get back to me because it's just liquid genius throughout. I'm going to ruin it for you. Here's a clip right now. Yeah, that's how it all went down, bro. We proof checked every fact. So those are all very good songs. Now I got to take it back a little more old school. A lot of the tracks that I really dig are, are, are a lot older. Uh, as far as originals go, uh, Dare to be Stupid.
definitely one of my favorite songs. And actually, Devo they style, had, but still original. Right, Devo style, but uh, actually featured in the uh, '80s Transformers movie when they yeah, land the on the planet. planet of junk. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we got the Junkions talking like Eric Idle, chewing speed. Have a nice day, and please pose cover before striking, friends. It's fantastic. Um, uh, you talked about One More Minute as being one of your favorite songs. I said it's very romantic, but uh, the one that uh, we should talk about as well, uh, in addition to being a romantic song of his, You Don't Love Me Anymore. You slam my face down on the barbecue grill. Now my scars are all healing, but my heart never will. You set my house on fire You pulled out my chest hairs with an old pair of pliers Oh, you think I'm ugly and you say I'm cheap You shaved off my eyebrows while I was asleep That's a good one. Is <laughs> this is romantic rock ballad about why you don't love me anymore. And it, he's a horrible person, and all the things in this song are very <laughs> valid reasons for someone not to like you anymore. See, and, also, Good Enough for Now, which is another favorite of mine. But then, uh, as far as favorites go, we talked about Albuquerque. Uh, we talked about CNR. CNR was good. Bob was also really, really good. Paul's a sad is as selfish as I am. May a moody baby do. His little ode to uh, Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. which in interviews ev- everything I've, I've was palindrome. In, yeah, and that in was the crazy. wake of uh, of the movie coming out, uh, Daniel Radcliffe said that's his favorite Al song. Just because it, it's it's needlessly complicated that song, needlessly complicated. like everything he does, utterly brilliant. It's so well yes. executed. If there's anything I love in life, it's creativity that is both well conceived and well executed, and that's Al's entire thing. That's his whole thing. Yeah, uh, another original. Everything you know is wrong. I think I ranked that one really up there close to the top as well with uh, we talked about This Is The Life and also uh, I'm really a huge fan of his uh, horoscopes. Yes. Your horoscope for today. Mm-hmm. You may find it inconceivable or at the very least a bit unlikely that the relative position of the planets and the stars could have a special deep significance or meaning that exclusively applies to only you. But let me give you my assurance that these forecasts and predictions are all based on solid scientific documented evidence. So you would have to be some kind of moron not to realize that every single one of them is absolutely true. Where was I? A big promotion is just around the corner for someone much more talented than you. There's a there's so many. I mean, he's literally got a playlist that'll. If you listen to them all back to back, it'll take you like three weeks. I swear to God, it's huge. It's huge. Uh, we talked about the night Santa went crazy. 
Uh, we've talked about all his polkas, and we got his uh, his uh, "My Life's in Jeopardy" parody. Uh, I lost on Jeopardy <laughs> from uh, 3D mm. back in the day. My baloney, always. Or I can never say my baloney, and I always pronounce it baloney. I've never said balona. I've never said balona outside of singing the lyrics to my balona. Okay, so I totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> but you can't sing my baloney. It doesn't sound right. It's fucking weird. Uh, and then UHF, the eponymous uh, track from the movie UHF. Um, Don't change that channel. Beautiful. Don't touch that dial. We got it all on UHF. And I mean, I could go on and on and on. And of course, all of his parodies are all just right up there. White and Nerdy and, and Amish Paradise and all these. Yeah, really, I, didn't even, I, mean, I didn't even touch on my absolute favorite song. It's not just my favorite Weird Al song. It's one of my favorite songs ever overall in general. And that's Hardware Store. I just, really? I can't even express how much love I have for that song. Um, because it's, first of all, just so goofy. Uh, the idea that somebody be excited about a hardware store, which is such a utilitarian Spartan sort of thing. Nobody goes to a hardware store because they want to. They go because they have to. I need a pipe bender. Or I need a socket wrench or something. But for him to, to write an ode to the hardware store and have that sort of like rapid fire merchandise rundown at the end that is just liquid genius every time. It just gets me. It brings a tear to my eye. Um, I also That's really right up loved, there with eBay for me when he talks about yeah. all the weird dumb shit you can I also love you, you Make Me from Even Worse, which was um, Anoingo Boingo. Not a spoof of an actual song, but kind of more of Danny Elfman's writing style. And Danny Elfman, I just, you know, I, I love Danny Elfman. I love his work with Longo Boingo. I love his, his, his uh, music score stuff. But, I mean, I, I read something a while ago in, a, in an article. I don't remember what movie it was. I think it might have been for one of the Men in Black movies that he scored. But um, the, the reviewer was like, well, you know, it's a Men in Black movie. You know what to expect. It must be one of the sequels. And he said, then, of course, it's got that Danny Elfman soundtrack. And, and in print, in this article, he just wrote out, it's a Danny Elfman score, so you get that oompa, 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 wow, whoa, wow, whoa. And I heard it in my head immediately and thought, well, you know, that's totally accurate. <laughs> Hi, 
Um, Where's but yeah, the hardware line? store just gets me every time. Um, and it's oh God, just, I, I can't even overstate how much I love that song. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking about Avril Lavigne's complicated song. I love that one too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, you, you can't, you, you can't name an L song decapitated I don't love. On a, whole verse talking about where he got decapitated on a roller coaster. I had so much on my mind. I thought maybe I'd unwind. Try out that new roller coaster ride. And the guide said not to stand, but that's a demand that I couldn't meet. I got on my feet and stood up instead and knocked off my head. You see, tell me. Myself decapitated. This really is a major inconvenience. Oh man, I really hate it. I'm such a drag now. Can't eat, I can't breathe, I can't snore, I can't belch or yodel anymore. Can't spit or blow my nose or even read Sports Illustrated. Oh, no. <laughs> Why'd you have to go and get me decapitated? It's a the decapitation thing came back in the in the um the, the Ben Fold spoof again about his uh his buddy who uh, had a traffic accident and uh, he still owes me five bucks what a bastard um <laughs> God I just you know there's there's not a song that this fan has done that I don't love is that a video I've done he has even like if you go to, to YouTube and type in like the um Weird Al interview where he takes existing interview footage with artists and puts himself in a similar set on the other side of it and makes up fun questions that their uh, their their responses in their original interview come back and and just unintentional comedy. The, the the genius, the brilliance, the cleverness of this man to uh, to have done everything he's done and as many ways as he's done it, as well as he's done it, no matter what he does, it, th- there's nobody else that I can point to that's that's got that consistent of a record of brilliance. Agreed, absolutely. And we were talking about me and Jim. We talked about it before the movie came out, and 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 we kind of covered this a little bit when we when we dabbled into talking about uh, uh, the weird the Yal Yankovic story. Uh, movie coming out before we'd even released a trailer we were talking about it and we had said to each other it's like if this isn't just an absolute send-up of the biopics in general i don't fucking want it i don't want a genuine weird out bi- how boring would a genuine biopic of al yankovic be and that's why he's he so, did it yeah because he's so milk toast and he's so normal and he's so straight edge and just normal when they did we, this behind the music, you don't episode, pay to see normal. It. You want to see drama. You want to see. And he's not, and that's what you got. They, they even he even said during his behind the music episode, they had to actually kind of manufacture drama, like the Coolio and Prince things, for them to kind of have those <laughs> commercial break cliffhangers of you know, here's the artist who said no to Weird Al because you can't look at this guy and and point to any controversy. I remember seeing a, I think it was the Onion uh, a, a while ago, where they had a picture of Weird Al and it said Weird Al has gone in a matter of about three or four years from being kind of that crazy nut from your childhood to being the only guy who lives in Hollywood that you would trust your daughter alone with. Mm-hmm. That's facts. That's and very facts. recently, and this is kind of a, this is a, a mild bummer, but I, I don't think I, Weird Al is one of those people that I would probably, if I had an opportunity, I might break my personal, uh, um, policy of uh, never fawning or approaching celebrities in public. And I lived in LA for a while. I actually almost, I, oh, I, I almost boy. killed William Shatner in a crosswalk. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, ran into you William sure Burke you getting a refill have? at a soda at a restaurant. Yeah, well, maybe. In retrospect, I maybe should have. But I, I saw my fair share of celebrities, but I didn't bother them. You know, I might have waved or 
I made eye contact and gave a little high sign to George Clooney in a restaurant once. You know, we were the only ones in there, so I, I say I, I had lunch with George Clooney. But um, regardless, I bothered I the shit out of Kevin I, Smith. I bothered the shit out of him. Well, he kind of really invites that, that too. He asks for it. He's he's very yeah. in touch with his fandom. But I would probably cry if I saw Weird Al. And I actually very recently missed an opportunity. Now I follow Weird Al and his wife Suzanne, who's a, a lovely person and a photographer on Instagram. From the bushes, and pretty recently, yeah, I <laughs> don't tell him. Um, but I saw on his Instagram pretty recently that uh, Weird Al had tagged himself in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is 10 minutes from where I'm sitting, and it's a resort town not far from here. And there's this, uh, like a slideshow of the 10 photographs that you're allowed in a single post on Instagram. And it was Al hanging around in Lake Geneva, which I, I, I lived in Lake Geneva uh, throughout, like, up until from birth to third grade, and I still go over there a lot. It's a lovely little resort town. There's like ski hills and, and a lake and a, a quaint little downtown with fun shops and everything. But the reason he was there is he was on summer vacation with Thomas Lennon, uh, who is Lieutenant Dangle on Arena 911. He's also a screenwriter and a character uh, actor and a comedian. And he has a summer home in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And he and Al are very good friends. And Al came up to stay with him at his summer home. And Suzanne uh, put some pictures up of that. And I was just sitting thinking to myself, holy shit, Weird Al went to the restaurants that I go to. Weird Al was hanging out of this this intersection with a legendarily funny sign that he took a picture of. And and I thought to myself, had I had, I didn't know he was there and she didn't put him up till after they came back. But had I known that Weird Al was in Lake Geneva, I would have gone and just walked the streets for, for days outside of sleeping and bathroom breaks to, to see if I couldn't bump into this dude. And also buddy, Thomas Lennon, who's great in his own right, one of my favorite screenwriters. My buddy Patrick, uh, the, his, and, and they do that all the time to stars. It's really embarrassing. Jesus. I won't spoil it, but the Thomas Lennon scene in Weird was just hilarious as the accordion salesman. Absolute brilliance. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I feel like I'm sitting here saying genius, brilliance, cleverness, but there's just it's a few praise. You it's can't warranted. He's just one of the most persistently excellent artists that we have, and I, I'm actually like as we said earlier, I'm kind of surprised it took us this long to get to him. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is he's just so pure. He's, you know, when yeah. someone puts us, and this is why I never understood Prince's reticence to work with him. This is why, well, I get Prince. He's, oh, I'm purist and nobody's going to fuck with my music kind of thing. My music is too yeah. important to make fun of. Right. But I never understood people getting mad at Weird Al. I never like no. They try. They dramatized the whole Coolio thing, but Coolio was legitimately pissed off at Weird Al for a lot and of so years. So was Lady Gaga, because this was this was his magnum opus of a song, and how dare someone take it and and twist it into something funny? But it's no, like, I, I don't mean Lady Gaga was pissed at Al. I mean she was pissed when her her record company refused him because she's just right. Uh, like you said, how could somebody be mad at that guy? He's like a puppy. You. I don't feel like you've truly made it in the music industry unless you've been spoofed by Weird Al. That's a mar- that's, a, that's a bar. That's a bar you have yeah. to hit. Neither yeah, did Kurt, Kurt Cobain. I, I, I sing lead in the grunge cover band, so I'm I'm really uh, kind of tuned into Latin, the whole 90s era music. I know, Josh, you are too. Um, we both really grew up with like that, that, that 90s what, alt rock what stuff. What I didn't? Well, really? I'm, I'm not saying you didn't, but I mean, really? I, was, I was referencing Josh's email earlier when he, when he said, hey, you know, maybe we can talk about some stuff. And we, we both <laughs> talked about... Uh, the uh, the alternative music love that we have, but when uh, Kurt Cobain apparently Al had tried to get through to his record company to do the uh, the, the smells like Nirvana uh, spoof, and and he just couldn't get a word in with this guy, and it was the last song that he wanted to record for the album, which wound up being the cover on the title track, um, not the title track, but you know, it was still the uh, the, the, the kind lead of big track, song that yeah. he wanted, to, yeah, the lead track, 
And he wasn't able to get through. So what he wound up doing is he waited until Nirvana was the uh, the musical guest on Saturday Night Live. And he got a hold of Victoria Jackson, who was a cast member at the time and who he'd worked on UHF with and said, please put Kurt Cobain on the phone. And Kurt Cobain <laughs> got on the phone and Al said, hey, I've been trying to reach you through your record company. And Kurt was like, oh, my God, I never said anything. I'm so sorry. What can I do for you? And he's like, I want to do a spoof. Mr. Yankovic, oh, my God. Yeah, and Kurt Cobain was like, is it going to be about food? And Al said, no, it's going to be about how nobody can understand your lyrics. And apparently Kurt Cobain laughed for like 15 seconds and said, <laughs> I love it. Please, please. And then he got off the phone. And, and, and Dave Grohl has said in several interviews, he turned to me with practically tears in his eyes and said, Where's that? Weird Al wants to do one of our songs. We're, we're finally a real band. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. I mean, literally, we could wax on and off about wax off, you know, about Weird Al for hours. I mean, seriously. This yeah. guy, everything is good. I I can't think of a track that doesn't at least warrant a playthrough. You know what I mean? No. You, you I mean, can't I'm look at this guy's entire catalog and point out a stinker. I was trying to find songs that I didn't really particularly care for. And I can't. No. I can't find can't one that I, I can't find one that I wouldn't listen to. You know, whether it's Velvet Elvis or, or Happy I think Birthday. I'm a clone now or any of those. I mean... Twister, the Beastie Boys ripoff. I mean, Jesus, the guy, he can't do anything wrong. He's one of those few artists like Dave Grohl or Betty White or Ryan Reynolds and just beloved in the culture because they just never step in it, ever. And and I, I pray to God he never does, Jesus. I don't think I could handle I don't think it's, it's in thing, him. It's the same thing we talked about with uh, Mr. Rogers. It's like if, he, if there was controversy behind Mr. Rogers, I don't want to hear it. But, Mr. Rogers, Bob Ross, Steve Irwin, certain celebrities are just so revered in the culture because they just are so pure and too pure for this world. Certainly too pure for entertainment, but they yeah. do it anyway, and God love them. Yeah, considering he wouldn't do a song unless, and and he learned from the Coolio thing is to, he had to speak directly to the artists at that point. It was no longer right, yeah. believing the record company because he could have done Prince songs. Prince couldn't stop him, but he yeah, didn't no. want to get. He didn't want to have controversy and things. He, it, it was I important mean, to him to maintain that goodwill with the music community. Yeah. However, the thing that I will say that I also love about him is that if anybody ever did turn him down, he wasn't going to do it anyway. He wasn't going to step on their, their wishes. However, he did reserve the right to then, in perpetuity, roast you mercilessly over it. Mm -hmm. And he would still sometimes have an idea and play him in concert. So like right. uh, yeah. Chicken Pot Pie. Because because uh, Paul McCartney didn't want him to oh, because he's a vegan, die. yeah, right, yeah. So he wanted, could you do tofu pot pie? And he's like, I that doesn't really work. Nobody so he'll still play a small amount of chicken pot pie at a bunch of his concerts, even though it's I not. Remember, an official I remember, I remember hearing it. I yeah. remember hearing it. It's chicken pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's and respectful, just, right? That's. I mean, yeah. yeah. To respectful, a point that it almost hurts. Yes. Yeah. It hurts when you he's think about. I mean, so good. Very few artists have said no to him, and all of the ones that have, he's made sure to uh, kind of roll his eyes and poke a little bit in abstention. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm kind of with Lady Gaga and Kurt Cobain, and eventually Coolio. You know, R.I.P. to uh, to Coolio. 
But um, people that eventually come around and go, you know what? I, I, you can't, you just can't say no to Weird Al. You can't. And if you do, you deserve whatever happens to you at that point. And if, you know, famously, anybody that's, aside from Prince, anybody that's really said no to Weird Al has kind of suffered for it a little bit. Like, where's James Blunt now, you know? Also, James Blunt he didn't, didn't say, say no. no. He it didn't say no. It was the record right. company that said no. That's right. That's right. And they, they didn't say he couldn't do the Your Beautiful song. They Which just said that you can't, we don't want it to be a single. Right. Because James Blunt was was just hitting right then, and they didn't want to. And the, yeah, they don't want to take away from the, the fire. Same thing. Although yeah. the Yankovic bump, which is a re- one of the only real things that was referenced in that movie, is a thing that exists. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And it we were talking about him, that with but... Chameleon Air for sure. Yeah, my music is too important to spoof. Okay, Prince. You know, I, just, whatever. But yeah, well, the uh... we can't talk about Weird Al without mentioning his other band members because his band is so goddamn talented. So and talented. you know he's a good they guy too. That's the any thing. Like, style. You know he's a good dude because these guys have been with him since the beginning. They, right. they, you know, if he was hard to work with or even a mild asshole, one of these guys would have bailed by now. But they have stuck with him. They've been his band for coming up on you know almost fifty years now. And then we have uh, uh, Weird Al, of course, on vocals, accordion, keyboards, and also background vocals. Makes sense. Nineteen seventy six yep. to present. We've got John Bermuda Schwartz, drums, percussion, and background vocals from 1980 to present, like you were saying. He was the first other guy to join. 42 years. He was drumming on Al's accordion case for Another One Rides the Bus when they recorded that in the bathroom at Caltech. Yeah. You got uh, Jim Kimo West on guitar, mandolin, and background vocals from 1983 up. A fantastic Hawaiian slot key guitarist in his own right, and a Grammy winning, if I'm not mistaken, Hawaiian slot key guitarist. Fantastic artist there. Steven or Steve J on bass, banjo, and background vocals from 1983 to present. And then the newest addition to the band, and I say newest because it was <laughs> 1991, uh, Ruben Valtierra on piano, keyboards, and background vocals, 1991 to present. And then the only former member I can find, and I'm sure maybe some other key players have come in and out, but the only former member listed on the Wikipedia page is Rick Derringer, uh, who played guitar and was a producer from 83 to 1990. So, yeah, you're right, Jim. That says something about the quality of an individual. Where these, I mean, because mm-hmm. look, at, look at all these other bands. I mean, there's very few bands that still have the same lineups without breakups. I mean, Aerosmith is still pretty much Aerosmith, minus a hit. A hitch one way or another here or there. Uh, the Rolling Stones have added and lost people. The Beatles were the Beatles until the Beatles weren't the Beatles. Um, if you don't count Pete Best, and most people and don't. nobody does. I don't, Pete Best right. doesn't count Pete Best anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, but lineup yeah, for, changes for happen. To... Metallica, yeah. Megadeth. I mean, you don't have the same band as you started out with. And, and I, I made a big deal about going to see Megadeth recently for the first time because I'm a huge Megadeth fan. I have been since high school, and it was really, I had never seen him. But really, all I was seeing was Dave Mustaine because yeah. all the other members have been replaced. Dave and the time. backups. Yeah. Well, Nick Menz is dead, and they had to fire a couple guys. One guy they fired because they're eh, finding kids online and, and things like that. And I don't know. Do you and I have allegedly, for that? Allegedly finding kids. Online. Do, you, do you and I have some kind of intolerance? Is that the entire genesis of our relationship? Might could be, yeah. Might could be. But, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, this guy is so just 
blessedly pure that he's kept the same stable core of musicians around him for 42 years. What does that say about the guy? I mean, and again, like not that anybody's personal experience is indicative of anything except their personal experience, but I met the dude and I got to spend about 15 minutes with him and just, I mean, a, a couple minutes talking, but kind of the rest of the time, just hanging around the periphery, watching me interact with other people. And the guy swear to God is exactly who you want him to be. He's gracious. He's cordial. He's kind. He's humble. Just like the sweetest dude in the universe. And I just can't, there's, I, like you, I kind of was like, well, let's sort of dig back to the back pages and find any one thing that we kind of have to put in as a caveat or any sort of like, well, you know, there was this. And there isn't a there's goddamn nothing. thing. There's nothing. nothing. The guy's so squeaky clean, pure, wonderful, and beautiful that there's just not a thing you can say about him that isn't effusive praise, which is, again, you, why we spent almost two hours doing it. You go back looking for dirt and you just love the guy more. It's like, fuck, I forgot he did that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I know we've been recording for quite a stretch here, but uh, being a part of a trivia podcast, I did yeah. put together some Weird Al trivia Ooh, if you guys would oh, like let's to. Have it. Let, let, yeah, let's just close out with that. And, and okay. it's they're not going to be too difficult, and I have some hints if if you want. Uh, Good, because Jim, my you spoiled my first uh, trivia question was where did Weird Al record his first song, My Bologna? Oop. Yes, he did record it in the bathroom across the hall from his college radio station. Yeah. All right, so other questions. Uh, Weird Al won his first Grammy for Best Comedy Recording for what song? Mm. I know it was later in his career. Actually, that is not true. Oh, the hint it. is he won his first Grammy in 1985. Really? Hmm. So it would have been after Eat It, but before Smells Like Nirvana, which was like 91, 92. Was it fat? Oh. I'm going to guess since you didn't say yes, that it wasn't fat. It was okay. not fat. But uh, Jim, it's one of the ones that you said it was between. It's actually... Eat it. To eat it? Oh. Mm. See, so, and, you know, because you know, once again, the 85 Grammy, you know. Yeah. Probably the 84 release. Well, that was that was kind of what broke him to his, his the wide audience that he he's enjoys to this day was that track. So that's fitting. Okay. Next question. Weird Al has won Grammy for Best Comedy Album twice. Name the two albums. I'm going to go with 3D being the first one and Mandatory Fun being the second. You got one of them correct. Mandatory fun. He did Even win worse. in 2015. Even worse. No, I was actually kind of surprised. So the the other one came in 2004. Running with scissors. Oh, straight out Alabalooza? of the Poodle hat. Poodle hat. Uh, which uh, I, one of the only ones we didn't mention. And it's, I'll be honest, that's one of my least favorite like full albums. Just in general, like if I'm just picking albums, still bought it on yeah. release day. I mean, there's there's still yeah, brilliant songs on it. It's just you know songs that are a little if, farther if, down my. If you have to rank it, yeah. Yes. Okay. Weird Al Poodle has cracked hat. the huh. Weird Al has cracked the top ten of the Billboard Hot 100 once with what song? White and nerdy. White and nerdy, correct. Yeah. It was yeah. released in 2006 and reached number nine. Fantastic. Uh, Weird Al debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 with what album? Oh, that would be Mandatory Fun. That would be Mandatory Fun, correct. Uh, 
one of the I ones that he won a Grammy for. Suzanne said he broke down and cried because he knew it was going to be his last album, and he debuted at number one, and it's just so overdue. So just another accolade for that guy who deserves everything in the world. All right, so this one's going to be Weird Al adjacent. So Weird Al is one of five musical acts to have a song in the top 40 of the Billboard Hot 100 over each decade since the 80s, with Eat It, Smells Like Nirvana, White and Nerdy, and Word Crimes. Can you name the other four art, uh, the other four musical acts? Mm. Over four I, decades, same same. I'm going to say, I think Queen was one mm. because they had some re-releases. But uh, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody hit the top ten uh, when Wayne's World came out, and then again when Bohemian Rhapsody came out. Metallica? Uh, I thought that was one. Mm. No. No, nope. I'm bad mm. at this. So here's my hints. Yeah. Three are solo artists, with one being an instrumentalist. The other is a band. Well, then it's probably Kenny G. Kenny G is the inter- instrumentalist. He's, he's absurdly popular. Talented, not my bag, but still, you know, a, a very talented artist. I got to give him props for that. So two other Pacific solo artists and a band. Yeah. Two other solo artists. It, it, I'm at a loss, man. I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, dump me. He has uh, parodied both of them oh, one, one numerous times. Please don't say R. Kelly. No. Well, it's Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah. And then the, the uh, probably the highlight uh, artist from the uh, parody biopic. Madonna. Madonna. Mm. Those are we the... famously met for like 15 minutes at the Grammys once, and they spun that into an entire relationship for the movie. <laughs> Beautiful. Apparently, well, yeah, somebody, though, it somebody is somebody true had to take that she's... Apparently, she was the only artist who has actually approached him asking yeah. when he was going to. He sort of very famously doesn't take outside um, ideas because he doesn't want to be beholden to anybody and will not accept suggestions for that. But I guess when Madonna comes to you and says, when are you going to do like a surgeon? You, you listen to that. So All the right, band, so just to let you know, band? Yeah. is uh, U2. Oh, okay. uh, he's also spoofed with uh, the, uh, with the, the dentist song. Uh, Hold me, 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 drill me, kiss me, kill yeah. Yeah. yeah, that That's one, the yeah. one. Yes. I can, yeah. <laughs> uh, last question I have for trivia. Um, we were just talking about UHF. Good, because my, my fav- brain's broken. One of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time. So yep. did UHF make a profit from its box office totals? I'm going to say no, because that was a movie that sort of very famously found its audience on DVD at the time. So I'll just say, to let you I'll know, the hint, yes. the, hint because... the budget was $5 million. Ooh. I so think no. Not. I think I remember reading that that, that movie no. didn't pick up any, any, any uh, didn't come into the black until the DVD or VHS releases. Ooh, but Saint, you actually were correct the first time around. The answer <sighs> is yes. Did it? <laughs> UHF brought in $6.1 million from the box office. So... Not a lot of profit, but a little bit of profit. But yes, There's but then funny... definitely as kind of a cult hit. Um, yeah, for sure. Again, it was so DVD. far ahead of, of pop culture. Uh, the, the To have uh, Friend Drescher and Michael Richards, uh, later sitcom giants in that movie before they were, either one of them was, was all that famous. It just, uh, yeah. ah, the, the prescience of this man, the genius and brilliance and prescience of this man. Yeah, that's funny because I was gonna. There was a news article that I declined to talk about today because there was a big uh, hullabaloo about it on uh, social media. Is that uh, uh, Black Adam, the recently released movie by uh, our dear friend Mister the Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Mister the the Rock, Mister the Rock? I was gonna call him, but um, 
there's a big hullabaloo right now saying, uh, oh, yeah, it's it's about 56 million or, or more profitable at this point. And uh, the, uh, the Rock was posting uh, articles to that degree on his Twitter and like, see, we're great. We're, we're profitable. We made money. We did a good movie. And yes, it was a good movie. But when the the movie company themselves have to come out and add a traction to that article saying, actually, uh, then it's not really a good sign. Um, and, and there's odds are good it's not going to get a, re, uh, a sequel here. So. Wow, I mean the thing Anyways. about that is if you if you look I just sometimes Google Hollywood accounting because you really can't trust the studios. And I spent about eleven minutes as a screenwriter in Hollywood. I don't really I never got into the uh, the business as deeply as I would have liked. But if you listen to any like I the other one of the big podcasts I love and listen to is called Script Notes, and it's uh, John August and uh, and Craig Mazin talking about the movie business and and from the scriptwriter's perspective. And um, Hollywood accounting is very famously uh, sort of uh, bizarre. Um, if you're going to go back to, if you as a star or a producer or a director or a screenwriter are going to go to them and say, hey, that we made a lot of money, they can always cook the books to the point where they go, well, you know, if you really add in like foreign grosses and what it costs to promote and, you know, the paying the caterers are actually, they could definitively prove no matter how they screw over the numbers that no movie ever has made money. <laughs> so you can't trust the studio's assessment on that. That's like, yeah, the police investigated themselves and discovered they did nothing wrong. The studio will always say, if they want to make a sequel, they'll make a sequel. They can, they can. Oh yeah, that made money. If it's if it's a movie they want to work on, but um, you know, if they don't, they'll just say it didn't make money. And of course, with uh, um, James Gunn moving over to the DC side and kind of finishing his run with Marvel and taking over that end of it, there's there's a whole lot of shakeups. I remember reading the last couple of days that um, Wonder Woman uh, may not get a third movie, and um, it will. A lot of it just won't just getting... be with Patty Jenkins. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of things getting chucked out to the point where uh, Zachary Levi has even said, "Oh, please don't, don't excise Shazam from the DCEU. It's one of the only movies people seem to like so far." So, yeah, there's there's definitely a whole lot of that going on. But you can, if you listen to the studios, no movie ever has made money, and the entire Hollywood system is a losing proposition. But way to go on UHF, Al. Shit, that surprised the hell out of me. Yeah, me too. So. Like I said, we could definitely flex for hours talking about Weird Al. I mean, it's something that we're all very passionate about, which is why we're here. That is the nature of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. We talk about shit that gets us all giddy and geeky and makes us smile down to our core. That's the whole point. And I can't can't think of a better topic than Weird Al Yankovic. And and, uh, uh, Josh, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show and being much more well-prepared than we are even. Uh, it was super nice. To not have that that's hard to finally. do, but you still knocked it out of the park. And speaking <laughs> of knocking it out of the park, we do want to once again uh, pimp your podcast, uh, the Benchwarmers Trivia Podcast. You can find that, I'm sure, wherever podcasts are sold, bought, and traded. And uh, while while we don't necessarily uh, get too much into sports over here, uh, you should definitely check that out. And of course, um, you know the, the, the tabletop stuff that you do at uh, JAB Games is uh, is is forever emerging, and we're super happy to uh, to, to promote that. And uh, yeah. yeah, thanks thanks so much for having. All the patience in the world as we kind of like got our act together and, and, and found space for you to come on. And, and uh, because you, you have your, your hand in so many other fandoms, we definitely want to have you back. Uh, anytime. I would love it. And I just I want to take a moment to kind of to pump you guys up. Um, and part of the part of what this is, is I've been listening since, uh, Jim, you've become a, a co-host. Right. So and, on sort co-host and and I will admit board. that not every, you know, so. I kind of call myself a jack of numerous 
uh, fandoms, master of none. But uh, even topics like I'm not a I'm not a metal fan to be to be honest. I'm just I'm not into it. But listening to your guys' episode Saint, where you talked about each of the songs on your your latest album, yeah, um, I w- it was riveting to hear you talk about your inspiration and things like that. It even the topics that don't directly have like tickle one of my fandoms. I'm still listening and it's fascinating to to listen to you and your guests. And um, so kudos to you guys. It It's it's a great podcast. So and obviously everybody listening uh, would agree with that. But I just want to give well, you guys. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. That's so tremendously sweet. Thank you so much for that. Well, yeah, and, and that's, we do this that's kind of what I, we really do. Right. I've always liked, liked that about like when we have guests on, uh, whether or not it's a, a fandom of mine particularly, I enjoy having guests on just because, you know, like I said, I started this entire thing way back uh, when it was just me and just me trying to find people to talk to. Uh, I, I started it with the intent and purpose of seeing that light in somebody else's eyes, seeing them get nerdy about something, really just expanding upon something that they find super fascinating was always just rewarding to me just to let someone be who they are for a minute let someone geek out and just completely lose their shit that's why i started this so it's gratifying to hear that that's actually uh going the same way and and i really appreciate that yeah well we want to thank you again josh and uh uh once again uh you could find his podcast wherever podcasts our bot sold bartered trade. Ben Schwarmer's trivia podcast. Definitely That's check it right. out if you're into sports. And even if you're not, because, you know, obviously, as Josh just demonstrated, uh, you might discover something fun about yourself. If you expose yourself to something you might not necessarily know you like. I expose myself to far too many people far too often. That's why I have a criminal <laughs> record. But that all being said, we want to thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsors, at Exter, one more time, Exter, E-K-S-T-E-R.com. Use coupon code FANDOM at checkout to save an additional 10% off of what I'm already assuming are going to be their ludicrous sale prices at the time. So definitely hit up Exter and get yourself some fancy pansy wallets. Even at full price, uh, those things are amazingly worth it. Absolutely. Um, If you want to reach out and get in touch with us, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can always hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Feel Your Fandom. You can find us in our email, which is feelyourfandom at gmail.com. Backup Gmail is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, which Josh used to get on the program. So if you have something you want to talk about, hit us up there and we will do everything we can to make time for you. And hopefully sooner than we were able to get Josh in, which again, not his fault. We appreciate his patience. Um, and if you want to find us uh, anywhere else online, we're on what's left of Twitter at Fuel underscore your. We're over at Instagram at at Fuel Your Fandom. And uh, if you search Feel Your Fandom on any podcast platform like Spotify or Audible or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio or anywhere fine podcasts are sold, bought, traded, and stolen, you will be able to dig us up. And uh, we always appreciate it when you do. We do indeed. I have been trying. I don't, I'm not really good at the social media thing. I'll be the first to admit it. But I am trying. I am getting back on Instagram and trying to... Uh, throw out funny memes and shit here and there and maybe talk about a few little things in general. Uh, so be patient with me. I am working on that. We also have a, a TikTok. Patient, I got him. Yeah. We also have a TikTok that I've done absolutely fuck all with because I don't know uh, what to do with it. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> that part of it out. I love TikTok, uh, but I just, uh, as far I as being just, a creator. 
Yeah. I, I don't dance. I don't do funny voices. Uh, I don't even like my regular voice, so I can't figure it out. So uh, one of these days we will figure out whether it's streaming or whatnot. We'll figure out what to do with it. But uh, we are on TikTok, but you won't find us because there's nothing to see. Nothing to see here yet. Move along. Move along. Move along. Move along. Um, but from Jim and I, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fire Podcast. We're eternally grateful that you do. And uh, as always, please do remember that everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care. You get to drink from the fire!